1: You. Making the view.
0: Making a view. Six. Six. Five. Five. Four. Three. Two. One.
1: Hello and welcome to the 143rd episode. Of Rankin' Review, where my returning guest Sky Brandon, yay! Sky Brandon and I are going to discuss Westerns, which again is not your typical subject for Rankin' Review, but I think we have a pretty good discussion, and I think it's a pretty fantastic list of movies in a lot of ways. Uh, So you've got that to look forward to. Let me know. Give me some feedback uh, what you feel about these episodes straying from the genres that I typically address. Uh, Let me know if you agree with our ranks. And uh, just say hello at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Check out the website at rankinreview.ca. And go into this discussion on Westerns knowing as usual that it's going to have some coarse language and it's going to have some spoilers. Thank you so much for listening to Ranked in Review. Please tell that other movie freak in your life about the show, and uh, let's enjoy some Western action. Oh Sky Brandon! Oh Sky, thank you so much for being here. I know you're a very, very, very busy man. <laughs> this
2: one was a long one in the making,
1: but but I think it's gonna be worth it. I'm always stoked when you know. Uh, I, know we, I know we got a good guest, and I know we got an interesting subject because this is the first time that we've d- dedicated an episode to westerns. Really? Um, it's I'm honored. It's a little bit off grid for me because I like I said I tend to focus on genre movies, horror, science fiction, fantasy. That's like. 90 percent of what i what i do yeah but every now and then i like to stray off of it and uh, i do really appreciate the western genre because it was force-fed me by my father my, my dad loved the old dusters so growing up i didn't have an option of what was on the one tv we had in the house that on was Saturday it. afternoon so if we were watching you know high noon we were watching high noon If we're watching some john wayne or or um old school <laughs> you know Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns—that's yep. what was on—and uh, I got into some of them. I didn't get into all of them, but like, <laughs> I remember real at the time I was like, "I should be watching the Transformers or something, an or animated series." <laughs> he was—he was eating up my TV time. <laughs> that bastard. But uh, at the time, I resented them. But I kind of grown to appreciate them, uh, and uh, because it was a there was a popular surge in westerns in the '60s and '70s that sort of died out pretty abruptly with the 80s, they, 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 I think was, was it the Chimino film that shut everything down? What was the famous disaster piece with Chris Christopherson? Oh, and, heck. Uh, uh, Christopher Walken, I can't Yeah, yeah, no, no I, I, yeah, I know exactly, <laughs> I, I know what you're
2: talking about. But that, no, that is interesting, cause I hadn't really thought about it, because yeah, like, you know, being born in the second half of the 70s, not really watching TV until the eighties, yeah. really. It's like, yeah, I just kind of knew Westerns because of Clint Eastwood, and it's because those are the kind of movies he did before he was Dirty Harry. Yeah. That's how I kind of associated it, and it wasn't until, you know, late 80s, with probably one we're going to talk about,
1: Young Guns, that oh, really? made me really kind of go, oh
2: yeah, okay. Yeah. They're still making these.
1: My dad took me to see an old Lawrence Kasdan movie called Silverado.
2: Yep. I I found it later. Tim Hildebrand, our mutual friend, introduced that one to me later. It's
1: awesome. Yeah. uh, And I remember at the time being kind of disappointed that I was being, I was kind of being dragged to a Western. It was clearly dad's choice that night, but I really, really liked it. Yeah, Like I really liked it. But what I like about the modern Westerns when they do crop up is they're pretty edgy. (laughs) <laughs> I do think that there would be uh, much more crossover with the horror fan genre to the western genre than you would real- realize. And in fact, there's been a couple of really great horror westerns that have come out in the last few years. Right. Uh, if you haven't seen uh, Brimstone or Bone Tomahawk.
0: <laughs> I have not. These,
1: <laughs> these are two of one of like the darkest horror movies I've seen in a while, and they're both westerns. And like I do recommend them, but like you might need to watch an episode of The Simpsons or something to cleanse the palate afterwards. They, <laughs> they, they are dark, dark movies, but interesting. <clears throat> but you know, the the law is there's usually a crooked angle to the law. The hero there's usually a crooked angle to the hero. Yes. The morals of the movies to swing wide. And uh, especially in this crop of movies. Yes, I agree. Uh, so, the, I mean, it's as old as time. The same thing that you'll see in, in cop dramas, like how the <laughs> heat idea, right? The, yes. The cop and the criminal are two sides of the same coin. <laughs> it's like, it, it's almost, you'd feel like it is an exhausted thing. But there's something about the Western aesthetic and the sort of, Moral latitude that these stories are allowed that like the horror genre. You can't always count on the outcome that you expect or want Right, and that gives the movies a little bit more energy and a little bit more stakes Yeah,
2: I agree or you might get what you thought was gonna happen, but not quite in the way like it was like Oh, I thought that's might how it ended, but this wasn't expecting this person to drop off on the journey yeah, a couple of them I kind of wrote down to myself and making little notes like, it's almost like the anti-Western in terms of what you kind of picture they used to be in terms of the good guys and the bad guys. And yeah. we do that and it's like, but, and these ones are all pretty darn good examples of that. It's, it's the, almost undercuts the heroic nature of, of the main characters, whether they're law or not. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I also like the timeless nature of the western genre like you can make a western in 1988 like Young Guns and it's still I mean you can tell by the cast in certain aspects of the movie when it's made but it's a western right? Yes. You, they, they're almost timeless movies you can always make a western and it'll always rage, uh, age reasonably well. You know? Yeah
2: that was something about uh, I guess I don't want to give away too much stuff before we talk about each one individually but yeah there was a definite line for me um, between Young Guns and Unforgiven,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then Tombstone up. Right. Like Tombstone only came out a couple years after Unforgiven, like three years later. But it clearly, and maybe it's because I watched it in Blu-ray. Maybe it was the format. Right. I'm like, this clearly looks like this could have been made very recently. Right. Where Unforgiven did feel dated it to had me. Have the grain in it a little bit more. Yeah, and it was even more things about just like the way, like the title screens. Right, pop. popped up and like ins and outs and of course Young Guns
1: being late 80s
2: it's like the music just the like, score. oh my god the
0: score
1: really announces itself in Young Guns but the, the visual aesthetic is still classic western yep. motif and like hard to miss but we'll get there you're right um, you actually chose this list I just went off I, I was I'm happy that you chose it but what drew you to it
2: um, well this is the, the third time now I've I've, uh, I've had the good fortune of sitting down and talking movies with you and each time like in large part because I don't see films as often as I used to. Um, there's always a couple of movies on the list when you go, like, hey, what, what about these lists? I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that yet. Right. So I actually still hadn't seen the, this True Grit, and I hadn't seen Django. Oh, wow. So I'm like, Yeah. Treats. Exactly. So I'm like, <laughs> well, let's pick that list, because at least I know there's a couple of movies in there that I haven't seen, and the other ones were all ones that I did enjoy, so I thought it would be kind of a neat right. list to, to wade back into.
1: Sweet. Yeah. Um, and this, like you say, the list does include the Coen brothers <laughs> and uh, some Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. So that's, that's yeah, that's pretty good, you know, Cineas bait. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm ready to dive in. Is there anything else you want to say by way of introduction? No, nah, let's do it. Okay, well, the six Westerns that Sky and I are going to talk, all fairly modern, I guess, compared to the, if the golden age of the Westerns with the 60s and 70s. None of these take place in the golden age of (laughs) the Western. In true rank-and-review fashion, these are all uh, Westerns that are sort of made within my lifetime. (laughs) Yes. Um, Again, 95% of what what I review on on the show are movies that are after 1976, because nothing really important happened before I got here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're going to talk about Django Unchained. We're going to talk about the Coen Brothers' interpretation of True Grit. We're going to talk about the James Mangold remake of 310 to Yuma. Although I've not seen the original. No, nor have I. So that won't be able to... uh, We'll be able to reference that (laughs) in our... (laughs) Uh, Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer doing The Tombstone. (laughs) Some classic 90s western. The movie that really convinced the world of the, the true filmmaking prowess of Clint Eastwood. Everybody was on board as Clint Eastwood badass Hollywood star. Everyone was on board for that. Unforgiven. Now, anytime he makes a movie, it's Oscar bait, right? Because of that because movie. Because of Unforgiven. Yeah. And then we're gonna watch the brat pat play uh, play cowboys <laughs> uh, with young guns. Uh, longtime listeners of the podcast may remember I have a real problem with Emilio Estevez. <laughs> Good so to know. We'll Thank see. you for the heads up. We'll see if we can make it through uh, that review. Thank you so much again for being here,
0: brother. I hear if I were you, I'd take that winter coat.
2: You kill people. Can they give you a war? They are bigger the reward. I'm looking for the Brittle Brothers. I know what they look like. All right.
0: They sold my wife. But I don't know who. You helped me do that. I'll give you your freedom and take you to rescue your wife. Where are we going? The hey. Bullseye. Come on no, We got us a fight going on that's a good bit of fun. Coco, give me some sugar. So you really free? Yes. You mean you want to dress like that? Hey. What kind of dentist are you? you uh, huh. Touch your guns, you die. the way you die, boy. Gentlemen, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. What's your name? Django. The D is silent.
1: So the current ranking Review champion, Mr. Lee Beckman and I are going to be tackling plaxploitation in the near future. Uh, we're going to talk about the Shaft trilogy, Cleopatra Jones, Superfly, right. and... Uh, Blackula, of course. I almost forgot Blackula. And it's interesting because uh, I I didn't react as positively to all of those movies as I thought I would and I I felt a little bit of, I guess, white guilt about it. (laughs) And when Django Unchained was coming out, uh, I was a little bit resistant to it because I know that as much as I enjoy Tarantino, he can be pretty tactless about rubbing uncomfortable issues in your face and I guess it does make me uncomfortable. And the thing that surprises me every time I watch Django, is considering the unbelievably harsh subject matter, I find myself laughing my way through Django Unchained. It's it's it could almost qualify as comedic in some t- at some points. Like the overwhelming reaction, it's it's more interested in entertaining you than it is in rubbing your nose in anything ugly or teaching you some historical Western or some lesson about history. Okay. Uh, and that's the thing it's like well so are we tackling slavery then can you tactfully you know handle such a harsh subject uh with such an over the top tarantino aesthetic and not really without really rubbing our noses in it i mean is he successful at that i guess is the question that i would open to it i i think that he is but i i, I don't know quite how it's pulled off like i, I think it, it's the cast yeah
2: i think it's his cast i think you know, with other people in some of those roles, I don't know if it would be as successful. I'm completely speculating, but...
1: You're Tarantino. You can get who you want, pretty much, right? Yeah,
2: And, of course, with the exception of probably, well, I guess, Jamie Foxx and DiCaprio. I think this might have been the first time he worked with both of them. But, in terms of Samuel Jackson and Christoph Christoph he'd worked with them, obviously, to great success. Um... Christoph Waltz, I think, is part. Is kind of a
1: linchpin. In terms of that, that. He is one of those actors that if you can get Christoph Waltz in your movie, you should probably have him in your movie. Like it's going yeah. to elevate the proceedings. Everybody else is going to have to scramble to match. Him, and I just so.
2: and after I just came up, it popped up, and I was doing some other uh, checking out some interviews, probably because Sam Jackson's. Uh, Obviously, around a lot right now with a bunch of the uh, Marvel movies, big releases coming up. And I came across him talking uh, in a slightly older interview about Django Unchained. Right. And how he's like, oh, it was worse. Like his character was worse in the first draft. And a lot of
1: stuff they ultimately decided to cut and take out. But in the background, there was more evils going on. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't decide because for me, the first half of the movie almost doesn't feel like Django is the main character to me. It sort of feels like um, the Christoph Waltz character, Schultz, yeah, the Dr. The King dentist. Schultz, uh, <laughs> <The> posing, <ex-dentist. laughs> posing as a dentist more than anything else. Yeah, uh, in a way, it's his movie until like almost a halfway point, and then the movie kind of shifts gears and it becomes Django's movie. <laughs> and um, maybe because, again, <laughs> white guilt speaking possibly, but maybe because we access the story through him. He's a white person who is not despicable (laughs) who we can be okay with, you know, resting our our story on to a little to introduce us into this terrible world. Yeah. And like we wish that the rest of the people were as intellectual and as, uh, you know but even like comparatively yeah I was, it's
2: good that you added that because even like the good guy you know our dentist Mr. Schultz he, he still has that line early on It's like I, I really don't like slavery but I am going to use it to my advantage just
1: for the time them being
2: because <laughs> I own you now yeah. but I'll let you I'm go free I'm asking you but I'm not really yeah.
1: asking you but he's having the conversation with Django which yes. is more than Django's ever gotten before. yes that's true and I don't want to say that he soft shoes the treatment of the African American characters because he doesn't no but the movie is way more fun than I expected it to be.
2: I, yeah, and for me, too, like I said, the cast was part of it for me. Um, and like any Tarantino film, he's so good with, with music and, like, and throwing your curveballs. Like, how does that music seem to fit in this moment? It's a contemporary hip-hop yeah. hook. But it did. Yeah. It, it makes me go, oh, yeah, this is
1: awesome. and again you have have to pick the right track you know more than a feeling wasn't going to find its way anywhere under the soundtrack you couldn't just make anything work and I think Tarantino's always been a big appreciator that the right piece of music with the right piece of imagery will make your whole movie it will make your whole movie if you can like just burn that into the consciousness of the public then (laughs) they they will they will sing your praises forever (laughs) Quentin Tarantino. I think even if he like retires on a terrible film, the way Kubrick did, his legacy is fairly secure at this point. I agree. To uh, his worst film is probably still going to be more interesting than a lot of people's best films. Um, I don't always agree with Tarantino, but I'm almost always entertained by Tarantino. He's he's a pretty safe bet when you put your money down at the box office. I find so. Yeah, do you think it's a problem that Jeng? Do you agree that Jeng is not quite the main character? I, I had,
2: I didn't have that same feeling, but now that you mention it, I, I totally see how you would feel that way. But I, it didn't occur to me watching it. I actually watched it twice because. You know, we came up with this list quite quickly after the last episode, and I watched the first few right away, and then was like out life of province, happens. doing a show, in life got like okay, now I got
1: to rewatch them. Yeah, the no, first few. I get it. Life gets in the way. I understand, I'm but I'm so happy you're
2: here. <laughs> um, so even rewatching, I'm like, oh, okay. Some of the thought things I thought maybe kind of bugged me the first watch. I'm like, no, this isn't bugging me. No.
1: A lot of the stuff. It's true. It, it, every time I've watched it, I've liked it a little bit more. Um, I think again the problematic passages to me are um there are some scenes that i feel like the dialogue goes on for a little bit too long and that's that's very much tarantino and again uh i will forgive him that uh for all of the little touches i I noticed james remar played two parts in the movie uh, the the, in the very beginning, he's uh, with the group of cowboys, and Schultz blows his head off. He's the first guy who right. dies, right. and he's also one of the head bodyguards of DiCaprio, who in turn ends up killing Schultz. Spoilers, right? And right. it was just like that was a little touch that I hadn't noticed before. Oh yeah, no, I he didn't has, it. He has double cast in his movies before, but he's usually really cautious about it not sticking out, right? But. Uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting little sort of there, if you want to notice it, kind of detail that you can sort of depend on. on Yeah, no, I
2: didn't I didn't catch that either time I watched it.
1: (laughs) I I do really like Jamie Foxx in the lead. He's quite stoic again for the first half. He's sort of in the Neo role of like from the Matrix. Yeah, he's basically taking in information and a lot of these powers are being given to him. Right. But it's just kind of weird and strangely comic how small the powers seem to be, how blown away the public are by seeing a black man on a horse riding a horse. Yeah, people stopping, mouths just gaping. Oh my god, what world are we in? What's yeah. happening? Right.
2: And then th- there's some things too. I'm like, what is that story about? And you, and not that you have time to tell, but like, um, DiCaprio's character, Candy, like him and his yeah. sister. What's going on it's there? It's like what is going on? And but you know <laughs> that's not the main plot. But the there's meta. just things like man, there's something weird going on there. And then Tarantino just lets it hang. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay. Well, and DiCaprio too this sort of really sort of deep-seated soul rot of a person you know he's been so rich and so powerful his entire life that nothing means anything to him anymore he doesn't seem to really enjoy anything particularly and plus the isolation of this plantation you know will allow all of his eccentricity to just bubble and bubble and bubble and turn him into this just completely atrocious subhuman being right Um, and it takes like I, th- I think that of some lesser actors would've been trying to find a reason for the evil. And I think that DiCaprio just kind of strangely embraced it. He yeah. understood the role he was to play here. He was the fucking bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there
2: was a couple of things I remember coming across about that too, like the moment when he cut his hand yeah. on the table. That yeah. that was complete accident. Yeah, and he that kept he just, going. Yeah. Yeah, just and turned around, asked over. for a towel, and just kind of kept it in the while. Well, I guess now his hand's got to be wrapped. for he the Actually, last,
1: must have. I don't, did he smear real blood on Kerry Washington's face, or was that a cutaway that maybe maybe they? I added think that. they would add that one You'd after because so, that that would that would be kind of disturbing. That would be extremely disturbing. <laughs> but yeah, originally him cutting his hand was an accident. It was a discovery on set. <laughs> Use it, shall we say? Yeah. I do have some bad things to say though. Uh, the main one for me is again this terrible instinct that tarantino has of inserting himself into his movies right i it's not even that i think he's a terrible actor but that he's able to cast his movies so amazingly then he ends up an amateur actor working with gods right, right. like he's he's being wiped off this even if he was doing his best work he's probably just gonna get blown off the screen so that sucks and he... <laughs> and he heaped on by doing... He attempts an Australian accent. And he <laughs> hires a bunch of Australian actors. One of them memorably was the main baddie from a horror movie called Wolf uh, Creek. He kills a bunch of backpackers in this really, really ugly Australian slasher movie. Um, anyway, everybody on set was polite enough not to mention how terrible the accent was. But I uh, I have to say it. And I, I, there's some ego to it. Like... It's like, it's like putting yourself in the seat of saying, I'm Alfred Hitchcock, right? Right. Uh, Shyamalan does this too. Yeah. Whenever yeah. I see him show up in his movie, my shoulders just drop a little <laughs> bit. Well, that's where he decided to put yeah. himself, okay. Here we go, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, it was distracting. Like, there's a lot of over-the-top moments. The gunplay and the violence in the movie is almost like anime level, like over-the-top. Especially the top. in
0: the last sequence. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: like, the, that aesthetic choice, which is not at all realistic, didn't bother me. It didn't take me out of the movie. But suddenly seeing Quentin Tarantino giving a terrible performance with this terrible accent really did momentarily knock me out of it. Oh, right, right, this is a Tarantino joint. I'm watching a movie. I, I was less in it while he was on and, screen.
2: And, and part of it, too, like it happened so much later in the film, too, that it, for me... And especially watching it the first time I'm like oh yeah right like, I forgot that he was probably going to pop up at some point yeah. do you know what I mean so I'm like oh shoot there it's also
1: is. A, a rare slow moment in the movie where you want the you want the movie to be getting to you know Django get some payback right yeah <laughs> it
0: yeah. was
1: it was time so he, I don't know what all of the scenes that got cut from the movie maybe we'll find out maybe we won't but this feels like at the very least he could have been cut in half as far as the length with the Australian slavers yeah and just and yeah, th- the dynamite not, it would and, yeah. not have hurt the movie it would not have hurt the movie at all but largely I'm really pleasantly surprised by the movie and like I said the, the dark humor in it The they're not really Klansmen because the Klan as we understand it didn't exist at the time that this movie was yeah it was made. like
2: 1858 pre-Civil War but
1: the hoods with the eye holes in them definitely sort of bespeak what this sort of <laughs> poison atmosphere was going to, to grow um and the fact that we laugh at them and how pathetic and sad that they yeah. all are. And weirdly human at the same time. <clears throat> but,
2: well, yeah, the around the moment, well, fine, then if you're not going to be happy. My wife
1: where, did all this home. extra work. I'm taking my hoods and I'm going home. By the way, that oh. saved that man's life.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: but it's strangely humanizing them. And again, I recently talked about uh, Blazing Saddles. On, on the podcast and there's that amazing Gene Wilder line where he talks about these are the people the hard-worn pure people that, that broke the soil and built America you know, morons <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and
1: yeah, I mean but it's not in a way it's like Whitey's Bad or anything yeah. like that, it's just like they're almost helpless to their environment these guys, they're they're, they're yokels they're yeah. hill folk, practically, and they have this pretend dignity of being ruled over by uh, Mr. Miami Vice himself, I mean, Mr. Don Johnson. Johnson.
2: Right. What a resurgence he's had over the years. He's watching a <laughs> series of unfortunate events with my family and stuff like that. It's Don Johnson.
1: He's in that. I my yeah. boys love that show. Yeah. I haven't seen it all, but my yeah. boys are all over it. So, yeah... Uh, I heap a lot of praise on Django Unchained. Again, it's another case of Tarantino taking a bunch of ingredients that probably shouldn't work that might even be, you know, (laughs) offensive and turning it into something terribly entertaining. Yeah,
2: and I think you could probably put that movie on if someone didn't know who wrote and directed it, if they had previous knowledge of his canon. you put that on. I was like, is this Tarantino? Like, it's so unmistakably
1: but it is yeah no the, the way it sprawls the way the dialogue unfolds the soundtrack choices if you've seen Tarantino I think you will you, you will see his fingerprints all over yep, this yep. Um, but I'm, I'm largely in favor is there anything else you want to say about Django
2: oh I'm just taking a quick look at my notes like yeah like there wasn't too much like I always, you know some of the music cuts were jarring but overall I still liked the majority of them and like the last sequence where the house blows up that was the only time where I kind of went like meh uh, that's pretty uh, good and Kerry Washington has that kind of look back at him as he's walking up. It just kind of felt like a little too cherry on well, top, but that's getting really picky.
1: And DiCaprio is great in the movie, but I do think that there's two other villains, especially Sam Jackson, Steven. Yes. Like one of the most corrupted characters in any movie I can think of, like completely to his soul, corrupted. Yeah.
2: And so interesting to watch him play that part, though, in terms of how he acts around everybody else yeah. in that one scene when it's just the two of them. Yeah.
1: He's completely different. He's an actor playing an actor in this role because he's playing the part that he knows everybody wants him to play as perfectly as he can, so that he can have the most comfortable life he can possibly live in this poisonous environment, uh, while you know he'll participate in the torment of, of the other you know slaves without any problem with it and i love the detail at the end when he asked steven to come out when he he actually drops his cane he doesn't yep. even have a fucking limp yep. it's all it's an all an act his whole life is an act. He's like a like a Shakespearean level villain, <laughs> right? And I like the in a smaller role. He uses Walton Goggins again in the Hateful Eight, right? But I like like how hateable Walton Goggins is able to make this guy <laughs> with minimal screen time. <laughs> he gets shot in the dick, and you don't care. No, like, Thank goodness. <laughs> um, yeah, really good adversaries for Django, and I think that because they're so big and over the top, they need big over the top deaths, and hyper hyperviolence of the 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 finale kind of feeds into that yeah but i don't know what these bullets are made of but they seem to enter you <laughs> swell like eggs and explode Exploded, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh have a watch and uh yeah it might press some buttons but i think it's more entertaining than provocative in a lot of ways which is not what i was expecting
0: you got a lot of experience with bounty hunters, do you? That is a silly question. I am 14. You can run on for a long time. Time for you to go home. I don't like you. I will not go back, not without Chaney, dead or alive. Cheney's to cut you down. Chaney, I'm here! Help me, Marshal! Now what? Cogburn?
1: Them boys don't you know, think about the wrath that's about to set down on it.
0: In this game, is a rough lot I do not regret shooting your father
1: I will kill this girl Biggest mistake you ever
0: made Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Help me I can do nothing for you, son.
1: All right, the Coen Brothers' take on True Grit. I have one complaint. And it is? <laughs> There's a couple of scenes where I think I almost need the subtitles on to actually understand some of the words that are coming <laughs> out of Jeff Bridges' mouth. I love me the dude. I love me Jeff Bridges. I will watch him in any movie, anything, anytime. Uh, but the level of slur and level of drunkenness at times, I actually yeah. like. Uh, I, 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 I'm not even sure if I got all of that dialogue. Well, sooner you bring <laughs> it up too, right? It's like
2: good way of the through. You know, Matt Damon's tongue gets almost cut in half, so and yeah. then he's got uh, and Josh Brolin's characters gets kind of the yeah, speech impediment as well. And then you've got her, this 14 year old, who's like I wrote really like an Green Gables <laughs> in a revenge western. Like she's yeah. just. Whipping out Cohen dialogue like nobody's business.
1: Like again, much like we talked about with Django, I think you could watch this movie not knowing it was the Cohen Brothers, but about five or ten minutes in you'd be like, Oh shit, this is the Cohen Brothers, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh if you like the Cohen Brothers, this is going to work for you. I mean, end of review basically. (laughs) But what's really interesting about is this is not so much in a way a remake of the famous uh John Wayne Western as it is a proper adaptation of the novel that that John Wayne Lester was, was based, based on. on Right, so it's it's almost a misnomer to call it a remake in that respect right I it's, think it's, it's a much, new adaptation of the source material it's a much more interested in the character of Haley Seinfeld I'm gonna get her name here sorry no, I think uh, you got it right no that's the actress oh I N- said the character Maddie Ross is yeah. the character she's playing She's really the protagonist of the story. And if you watch the John Wayne movie, John Wayne is the protagonist of the story because right. he's John Wayne. Um, but she is tough as nails, this little kid. She's, like, tougher than almost everybody in her environment in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's like Mother Nature herself that takes, Haley, that takes Haley down. It's not anybody's, you know, brutality or strength. Like, she has a real beef with Josh Brolin because he went ahead and killed her pa. That's right. And uh, she's supposed to be running a financial errand on the farm but her real motivation is to, is to kill the man or see the man killed who did this to her right. father. She
2: wants justice to be done and the man who killed her dad to pay whether yeah. however that means. To the point where with Matt Damon you know he's coming from outside of state It's like no no you don't get to take
1: him to your state. I don't mm-hmm. care what he did yeah, there and, either. Right. He's paying for what he did here right now. Yeah. Um and, again, the whole amazing cast, wall-to-wall, as you would expect. But I have to say this is one of my favorite things I've seen Matt Damon do. I love Matt Damon in this. I love how it's the anti-Jason Bourne character. <laughs> right. like, he's got, like, a terrible cowlick, and he's got this macho bravado that he's not really completely earned. And there's something yeah. kind of embarrassing <laughs> about, about LeBeef. <laughs> being taken to task by a 14 year old and yeah the humiliation that he's constantly out outsmarted and outtaught by this child right? yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah like I wrote down too you know, Barry Pepper
1: and I hadn't seen him in a while and... great Canadian actor killing yeah. it is like a scumbag and I did I
2: double checked because I like, again this was one of the other ones I hadn't seen before I'm like is that Gleason's kid and it yeah, is it's yeah, yeah it's Donald Gleason before You know, he started getting some of the
1: the one. kind of a one-scene role, but a memorable one. Really great
2: scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: again, left and right throughout the movie. And again, the details of the West that I just love. Like, the, There's no uh, don'ts or ain'ts or aren'ts. They do not, are not. Yeah. They, like Very specific uh, in the choices of the dialogue. Uh, the strange Western imagery. The, when they see the guy riding in wearing the, the bear fur. But from right. a distance, it looks like there's a bear coming on, on a, a horse. horse. And you're yeah. like, did they just completely flip the switch on this whole movie? What's happening right now? The weird hanged man that they find absurd. Yeah, I wrote down, like, that's a shoot. high, that's high. They've hung that guy high. And the characters acknowledge it. Like, she says when she's climbing up to cut the rope, why did they hang him so <laughs> why? high? And he says, I do not know. <laughs> I do not know. Uh, him spreading the rope around the campfire because he believes the fairy tale that that's going to keep snakes exactly. away just the the, the, the the small details of the movie like it, like you always expect with the Coen brothers are so yeah. so rich well it's good
2: cuz then you know it, then you're already planting the seeds for the stuff with the snake with the snake bite that happens mm-hmm. at the end of the movie without making it a big deal you've introduced it
1: and it's the first time she seems bothered by an idea that she's bringing up. She's been a tough cookie, but when she mentions snakes, right. she, her eyes kind of shift. She doesn't like that. Yeah. Not <laughs> she, while you're sleeping. She can't out talk a snake. Yeah. She's, she's pretty confident she can talk her way out of any situation and she might actually be right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I, I love 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 true grit and i mean i think it would be a really great entry point for people who weren't into a lot of westerns i I don't know that this is like your typical western i agree but uh it's a really good sort of walk you into this world sort of the weird formality of it uh they've revisited it kind of with their most recent one the legend of buster scrubs i haven't seen it it's just on netflix right now but it's like a bunch of western vignettes there's like six short western films um and uh some of them seem like they could be plucked directly out of this universe right there's something so tactile and specific about the coen brothers that you just recognize it right away
2: well yeah even the like the, the dialogue to be honest too for me it struck me more as being coen brother dialogue as a western genre dialogue per se there's sometimes i'm like that's a that's a coen brothers line that's not a that's not like a oh i'm gonna pluck this out of like a western vernacular
1: yeah no that that was a specific choice yeah uh and just the way we're shown maddie's edge like when she finds out that that this buster cardboard character has like the most ruthless (laughs) (laughs) reputation that's the guy she wants wants. yeah (laughs) Uh, I also want to give some shout-outs to Josh Brolin, playing the really strange and broken Tom Chaney. Like, this guy, well, I don't know what's going on. It, like, it's one of those still waters run deep type of characters. Yeah. But there is something really off and really dangerous about him. And it's accomplished really minimally, but there's something off-putting about it. I really well, liked it.
2: Even like when you f- first see him on screen, when she happens across him in the river... It's not like he has this first reaction of like, "Oh God, there's the daughter of the man I killed." He's I like, "Oh
0: that. hey, you're
2: the kid from." Like, it's <laughs> yeah, just exactly. this weird and like,
1: "Oh, that's not what I expected we at all." We are in the middle of nowhere. There is no earthly reason for you to be here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh ha! <laughs> just for the way he pouts when he's being left behind. You know? Yeah. I do not like this plan. <laughs> please put me on your horse i am not heavy (laughs) like i don't want to babysit this kid (laughs) like uh again it's one of those things where it's not that big a role screen time wise but he fills it same thing with barry pepper and
2: yeah and especially well both characters too not just um josh brolin but they get talked about Mm -hmm. so much before you kind of get you see them like uh Stopper's has done that a few times in his plays where he'll talk about characters for so long that by the time the person has to show Feel up like, it's you know. yeah it's like a lot of the work has been done for you and you're yes. like ah
1: that's the person who we've been waiting for yeah so, very minimal things to complain about. I haven't said a lot about Jeff the dude Bridges. I mean, after the Big Lebowski, it was just hard for me not to associate Jeff Bridges with the dude. It's just like He kind of is like a western dude. <laughs> he kind of is. Definitely much more bloodthirsty than the dude would ever be, I would like to think. <laughs> But I, I do think he does have this. The, he walks the line where he still manages to be lovable. He is a belligerent drunk, and he is willing to say, "Oh fuck this," and like walk away from this girl at one point in the movie. And we should probably not forgive him for that. But we up Sort of. But by the time we up. get
2: to the end, right? He absolutely. Not only does he end up helping make happen what she wants. He saves her life. He saves her life. Yeah
1: definitely very chilling this imagery of a rattlesnake nested in the chest of a, a skeleton, skeleton. Yeah. really really strange song. theres uh, I'm not fooled by the CGI but the uh, idea of it was strong enough that I was able to make it work for me yeah. and I understand that you're not going to have Salie Seinfeld work with an actual <laughs> fucking S- rattlesnake <laughs> <laughs> no, no uh, I'm not going to have it. And it sort of speaks broader themes. You you actually give more weight to the fact that she gets snake bit. Like, that means something because yeah. it's the Coen brothers and the world yeah. is so big.
2: And you get a great payoff for me, anyways. It was a good payoff in that when you do see her then as an adult in the sequence, it's like, oh, it's not like, oh, and he saved her and that was it. It's like, no, she lost... She lost her she, arm. She lost her arm. Yeah. Saved her life, but she lost her arm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I love me. True great Yeah, the only like, thing, like, I, Yeah,
2: I'm just trying to look at, it, like... I I also wrote down not
1: digging the rooster's voice. There was times where I was like, uh, what, what? "What are you saying?" There's a whole business where they're doing the "I can shoot the bottle" thing. Yeah, <laughs> where it's just I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're I shooting would... the
2: cornbread up in the air yeah. and, two and then try, yeah.
1: I, I I almost wanted to like see the actual script to see if like they actually wrote drunk speak. Like they instructed him to be indecipherable because like he's <laughs> so drunk.
2: Yeah, and then actually the last thing I wrote down was like I, the credits pissed me off. Really? Yeah. But now, like looking at the note, I'm like, "Why did it piss me off? I can't even. It couldn't have been that bad if I can't remember what it was about the credits that made me so angry."
1: Because you were sad the movie was over. Uh, there's
2: maybe it's the way I don't know. Maybe
1: yeah. Isn't it a long shot? She's walking up the hill yeah. to this place where she's buried. Uh, she's got. I think her father's remains and Cogburn's remains are there, which are kind of weird. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think so. Maybe that's what it was. It just kind of seemed out of place with with the whole. Uh, again, it's very Coen Brothers to have that little five, ten minute sting at the end of the movie, like you feel everything's resolved and then they give you this flash. Almost like an epilogue. Very much like an epilogue. I would guess it's taken directly from the novel. I don't know that, but I would guess it. Um... Some people find that frustrating. I, a lot of the times, definitely with the most recent one, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, when when that last cr- first credit comes up, written and directed <laughs> by Joel and Ethan Cohen, my mind goes <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just like, what did I just watch? And like I need to usually watch them two or three times to sort of like right piece them out. True Grit isn't as is much like that. I think because the clarity of the story is there. I think you can really enjoy it and get behind it. I understand that there'll be a lot of people who are like, "What was with that last ten minutes?" But I was still with right. I was still under its spell. And uh, again, I, I'm a little bit biased. I don't think you're going to hear me talk shit about the Coen Brothers on this podcast. <laughs> it hasn't really <laughs> happened yet. So, uh, good, good movie. Watch yep. it if you haven't. Yeah. Good enough.
0: Good enough. You're so sure that your crew's coming to get you.
2: they lost without him, like a pack of dogs without a master. Where'd
0: they take him? I don't know. God's vengeance, they're coming. Coming this way, I've seen them. There's gotta be 30, 40 more guns out there now. Boss, you in there? Sorry, mister, but I'm not gonna die here today. It's just you left, Dan. Just you and your boy. This town's gonna burn! Call him off. Why should I? Because you're not all bad. Yes, I am just remember that your old man Walk Ben Wade to that station when nobody else would.
1: So here's the thing. I really, really like this remake 310 to Yuma. Like, uh, we just finished talking about True also, which is also an amazing remake. But I gotta say, upon revisiting it, I... I don't know if I didn't. I forgot about the depth of the movie. Right. <laughs> I sort of thought of it as kind of like a fun shoot 'em up in a lot of ways, but it's way more bleak yeah. than 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 that. It's way closer to Unforgiven than it yes. is. Yes, it's
2: one, to, one of those. It's falling into that anti-Western end of the spectrum for me in terms of you know you've got this heroic character, but he's not.
1: He's not heroic.
2: heroic. And even he's even less heroic as the movie progresses. You you get more and more details and. That's why I love that connection between the uh, between uh, Christian Bale and Russell Crowe.
1: I talked about in the introduction the 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 moral vacuum that a lot of these Western movies take place in, and in a moral vacuum, it is a mistake to be all good, and as a consequence, anybody who is too altruistic in yeah. this movie is dead meat. Um, and uh, it's interesting, like I remember the end of the movie Again, I'd i forgotten this detail I don't mean to jump right to the end but Russell Crowe is on the train so I guess spoilers he gets to the train but he whistles and his horse starts chasing yeah. after him that's yeah. it's this great implication oh, he's, no, gonna, get out he's gonna get out he's always gonna be able to find a way he's going to yeah. escape and it has got
2: that great bit of dialogue right near the end he's like just so you
1: know I've I've actually escaped
2: I've been I'm, I've been in this prison they're sending me to before and I've and gotten escaped. out
1: yeah so all of this is for naught in a lot of ways. Yeah. But this the is the principle of getting him on that. Yeah.
2: It's the principle.
1: Like I said, I'm going to do it. But it's the, that's his tragedy. Like mm-hmm. that's his tragedy. He has to do the right thing. And in, in the end, as Russell Crowe presumably rides off into the sunset, not literally in the film's language, but yeah. uh, should we be happy about this? Do we like Russell Crowe?
2: I think. Is he I, a hero? I, I think we do like him. Or at least parts of him, but whether or not why? The, But I think we should be like,
1: why do I like like this is almost no country for old men territory yep. upon revisiting it. Yeah. And in a way that is both sort of good and bad. Like I do think it's acknowledged. I do think the movie is thoughtful about it, but in a way it becomes a less fun movie for me. All of a sudden.
2: Oh really? Yeah, for me. I that's why I, I like as much as I do is he has these moments of he's like he's a bad, bad man. But he has these moments of kind of dipping toward like he's being uh, what's the word I'm looking for influenced by by the good man that he's finding his company in
0: yeah.
2: um and I remember seeing in the movie theater when it first came out and I liked it then and I hadn't seen it until I, I rewatched it here a couple times for this but I, again spoilers not jumping yeah. right to the end but I absolutely do just love the moment where he turns around and just smokes his whole crew yeah
1: but again, like all of those years like, oh of God. loyalty, all of the hell that his crew have been through to try and rescue him, and successfully really rescue him at yeah. this point, and what's their payback? Yeah, they're all dead. They're all <laughs> executed by the man they came to save, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. no loyalty among thieves. And again, we see Russell Crowe doing the wrong thing again and again and again and being rewarded for it. We see uh, Christian Bale and his crew dwindling member of friends and family uh, get consistently punished for doing the right thing. There's a scene... Uh, by the way, shout out to Luke Wilson
0: mm-hmm. for
1: playing a really grungy evil cowboy and yeah. disappearing into a role like I have literally never seen him do. Like yeah. he seemed to really connect to something in that character. I think <laughs> Luke Wilson has some darkness in it, but he's he's torturing him, the Russell Crowe character, with at the time a very modern implement of torture, yes. uh, electrical cables, yeah. are shocking him, and uh, yeah. Alan Tudyk has yes. the doc and yeah. Christian Bale can't sit by and allow this to happen so they put a stop to it and as a result Russell Crowe escapes Alan Tudyk's shot in the back right mm-hmm. yeah no good deed goes unpunished yeah. and it's that's the message of the movie like that's that that theme repeats itself over and, and over and early
2: like it was like oh uh with um with Fonda with uh... With Fonda's character, far, too, yeah. It's like, you know, he's, he's the law, but then you, you start getting these little bits of dialogue. It's like, oh, th- this is a terrible person. <laughs> just so you know. Like, he's doing this because he's getting paid to do this job. Like, that yeah. that's the only reason he's here. Yeah. So you're your good guy. Even some of your good guys are. Dead.
1: But again. Russell Crowe isn't even portrayed as that heroic. There's an amazing sequence where they're uh, robbing the stagecoach. Peter Fonda's got a reinforced, very modern Gatling gun gun on it. He's going to protect the score, and Russell Crowe has all of his men like ride into gunfire while he waits in the background and leads Christian Bale's herd onto the road to cause the cart to go off off of the trajectory. And uh, that's not the heroic waiting into battle leader that you would think people would die for. Yeah. Right, like yeah. he's always in the background. He always finds a way, and it's not even particularly heroic.
2: No, I think it, it's he finds a way to get his men paid. Yeah, and one of and his men's being loyalty. held
1: hostage. Well, twelve of them aren't, so we're going to shoot the hostage. Right, and that seems to be an understood thing yeah. by all of the henchmen. But yeah. again, why is he so worshipped? Because he's able to thrive and survive in this environment. When we meet uh, Christian Bale's character, and I'm sorry, I will let you get a word in it to this guy he's dead broke (laughs) his cattle have gone astray and drought yeah and he's doing like he's doing miserably because he's doing everything right and -hmm. when we meet russell crowe he's rich and fashionable and cool and he's doing everything wrong yeah (laughs) so it's interesting i i your heart goes out to the christian bale character but like i kind of well, obviously it was my second time seeing it, so I knew where the movie was going. It yes. was going to be a tragic trajectory for that character. But I, I, it, it seemed so preordained watching it the second time, whereas the first time I was kind of surprised. Right, by how, by how it ends, yes. But this time it feels like the movie's screaming it at me almost. Right, that's interesting,
2: yeah. I do remember watching in the movie theater and being surprised at the end, yeah. going, whole crap. Like, he, he didn't make it. Not that I thought he was going to get out of there with his
1: shirt clean by mm. any stretch. There was going to be a price to pay, for yeah. sure. And I, think, I thought it was going to cost him his son, honestly. I thought right. that, like... Oh, God, I don't think I could handle that. Right? That, that happened. <laughs> but, like, you felt some sort of tragedy coming, but maybe because it was Christian yeah. Bale at his, the height of his... He yeah. was still Batman at this time, I think. Um, yeah, he did it right after the first Batman,
2: I think, before the second one. Yeah.
1: So he, he couldn't have been a bigger star at the time, and uh, he's not playing the hero role that we expect him to play. Which
2: is probably why he sought it out. He's, mm. he's traditionally been very good at doing that, undercutting himself in terms of, oh, I get perceived at
1: this, so now I'm going to go do the fighter. Yeah. Because <laughs> to me, he was doing all of this to prove his son that he had some honor, he had some worth. Since he was failing at keeping the farm and he was failing with paying off his debt and he was failing in front of his son left and right, he could at least prove to his son that his essential theory about the world is to do right, is right. correct, right? Yeah. So he's going to do right. And yeah. it kills him. It literally kills him. Yeah. It,
2: And I, I think, too, like when it, the ending, why, why it resonates so much for me is that again you, you do get that last shot of like oh he's probably going to get out of here anyways but I think maybe that's ultimately why we do like Russell Crowe's character despite his terrible nature is that he could have just walked away right there but he's like nope I'm going to get on the train to ensure that this man's family technically gets what was promised to them. His
1: son will at least think that this is the fate. Yeah,
2: there's that part too, and there's just and there's the promise that that's been made to you know to the company. But it's keeping
1: like, that promise was worth executing all of his loyal men for that. Keeping that promise, right? But, yeah. Uh, and Ben Foster, who oh, we I haven't know. talked He's about. He's great. He is really good in the movie. Like you hate his fucking guts. His indifference to life and death is—he doesn't say it. He doesn't have that monologue where he talks about his no, father are right. him or anything you're like right. that. <laughs> <laughs> but like he just does not value life at
0: all. Well,
2: and 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 just from a t- uh, from a design technical standpoint, it's like it is one of the most iconic looking characters in a West I've ever seen. Like when you say. 310 to Yumo, or even say Ben Foster, the first thing that pops into my head is not him as Angel in X-Men. I think of him in that fucking white double-breasted coat and that awesome wide-brim hat. Like, it is, yeah, it was well, well executed.
1: And I like this thing, like, he's amazingly quick with his hands. He can kill somebody with one shot, and he knows when he pulls the trigger that it's a kill shot, but he doesn't revel in it. He's not, like, looking the guy in the eye. He's not saying something terrible to him before he does it. He just does a job. He doesn't give a shit. He just doesn't give a shit. The only time he gives a shit is when he's been shot himself and he's looking Russell Crowe in the eye. And there's something like devastatingly personal about that <laughs> <Yeah>. execution. <laughs> Which I her. totally understand. <laughs> right? like, See, I
2: did, I've done all this yeah.
1: for you. And now how this. Why? Yeah. Why are you killing me? Why have you killed me? Yeah. And he gets no answers. <laughs> right. But again, in his world, like he was doing everything wrong, which was how you survived. Yeah, right. He. This is not how it was supposed to end. Right. Yeah. Charlie wrote, Prince doesn't end up with a bullet in you. Charlie Prince puts a bullet in you.
2: Yeah. As I think, I wrote down similar to True Grit, right? In as opposed to, I'd be curious because I haven't read it, but it's based. It's actually an Elmore Leonard short story. Mm-hmm. So it's. I wonder how much more is it so much not a remake of a movie that came before
1: but how much has it gone back to the story again I haven't seen the original I have seen the original True Grit but to be honest it was probably the late 80s when I saw it I was a kid Um, so yeah in both cases I'm not uh, going to they can't be spoiled by ruining the original for me because I haven't seen it
2: the only thing I wrote down too is a great scene between Evans and Alice I guess that's him and his wife Mm -hmm. Gretchen Mall I quite like her and everything I've seen her in uh, not that I've seen her entire
1: oeuvre,
2: yes. I haven't seen the whole canon. But like, whenever I come across, i like, I always like
1: her. Oh, that's, that's another interesting thing. The reason Russell Crowe's initially caught is because of a woman, right? He decides to linger. He's yeah. like right. so cash about, and confident about his ability to escape that uh, even though the rest of the boys have split to the wind with with their yeah. cash. Why
2: do they? Now talking about it too, like I think maybe that's his first curveball, right? Is he underestimates Evans, uh, Christian Bale's character. Yeah, He's like, oh, I was not expecting like this man to walk into the tavern just thinking, oh, I, he wants some kind of compensation for the for his <laughs> cattle. But yeah. now he's actually orchestrated me being caught, whether that
1: was his plan coming in or not. $200 reward, by the way, would change Christian Bale's farm, his life, probably for the next decade like he would be 200 bucks is not a small especially for like a dirt poor farmer that that is that is motivation
2: and what I I like about that that sequence too is is there's so many things that are stacked against that character it's not that he's bad at what he does like There's a a large landowner that's fucking him over by diverting water from the river further upstream in order to push him off because they want the railroad to come through. And And then there's gangster tactics. Exactly, burning his barn to the ground. Like that's how the whole movie starts. Is like this epic barn burning sequence. It's like it's like things are bad and he's getting picked on.
1: Yeah, but again, there's something to me so psychologically awful about the, the the movie's thesis that. You can't, you can't be altruistic. You can't do the right thing. That is naive. Right. You are destined to fail. Again, it's the opposite of the traditional Western heroic yeah. ideal anyway. Yeah. Just because the hero doesn't always win doesn't mean that the hero isn't always right. And this movie right. kind of posits that the heroes, you know, sometimes you have to cheat to win if yeah. you want to live to go to the next day, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. That, I don't know how well that sits, but it makes the movie... Uh, much deeper than just another Western shootout. Yeah, totally agree. Good enough. Yeah he Shot your brother Now the time has come for justice Guess maybe you better swear me yet. and he has to live up to his reputation. You got a fight coming
0: I'll be there!
1: One last time none of your problem doc you don't have to mix up in this <laughs>
0: That is a hell of a thing for you to say to me. In a battle. The last charge of Wyatt Up and his immortals. At the OK Corral. Oh my god. The West would never forget. Kurt Russell. Val Kilmer. Dana Delaney. Powers Booth. Michael Dean. Bill Paxton.
1: Jason Priestley, Sam Elliott,
0: and Charlton Heston. You tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me! Justice is coming
1: to Tombstone. So I'm going to confess to a crime, Scott, here officially on oh. Rank and Review. Okay. In, it was around Christmas time, as my memory says it, in 1993. Um, I went to a screening of Ace Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> and as I was walking out of the theater... Oh, I think I know what you might have done. I decided to just walk into the Next theater, theater. That was was being let in without buying a ticket. So I got to see Tombstone for the first time on the big screen. for For free free, because I was like 15 or 16 year old something like that I don't know I was being a brat I got away with it and now I've confessed so um, do you feel better? the good people (laughs) at Capital Cinemas in Saskatoon which which no no longer longer exists exists. I'm sorry I owe you 850 But uh, it made an amazing movie, Extra Delicious, that I got it <laughs> under, yeah. under those false pretenses. And, you know, uh, I saved a little bit of money on, on I guess, <laughs> Ace Venture. <and Truman. laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I came across uh, Tombstone
2: uh, was actually during my first year at the university. So it had been out a few years by that point. And uh, a bunch of us that lived in LAV, one of the residence halls, we would go, like, to... Uh, Oh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was a video store up in Spruce Grove, and you get like seven movies for seven days for seven bucks or yeah. whatever it was. And one of the seven, we got one of the guys on our floor I was like, "Oh, Tombstone's great." For sure, and like, safe bet. Yeah, I'm so, all right, and then are watching I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get why this movie is enjoyable, especially at that time and that at that age. I'm like, this is amazing.
1: So Tombstone Cat it stars half of Hollywood in 1993. <laughs> if you weren't already a celebrity, you were about to pop really big as a celebrity. <laughs> the celebrities, some of the celebrities that are huge at the time mean nothing now and some of the celebrities that mean nothing at the time are huge now. Like Jason Priestley was a huge star because of 902. I know, like, oh, and he's got the small part in it, but nobody gives a shit about Jason Priestley. anymore, <laughs> right. Uh What's his name? Well, uh, Billy Zane, pre-Titanic. Billy Bob Thornton has this... a one-scene role in this movie. And
2: it was right before he
1: blew up with, with Sling, Sling Blade. Blade right? yeah. But like at the time, he was just another character actor that they hired yeah. in the movie. Uh,
2: Thomas Hayden Church is more of the cowboys. And then you know give him a few years, and all of a sudden he's popping being nominated for Academy Awards and popping up in Spider-Man 3.
1: So you're going to be spending the whole movie going, Wow, that guy! Wow, yeah. that guy! Wow, that guy! And it's really rewarding yeah. and fun in that way.
2: John Corbett too, right? Like this was pre yeah. Sex and the City. It was a big
1: deal at that time because of North uh, Northern Exposure, was it? Or right, North, not North, North of si- Sixteen or Northern Exposure. I think yes. it's Northern Exposure. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. These are some '90s TV shows that most of my listeners will have <laughs> never heard of, will never hear of, or have never watched, will never watch. Um, but yeah, it's interesting just to see the the stars and how they've changed in their value, and their network, whether right. they've powered up or down over the decades in between. Here's the thing. I I love this movie. (laughs) It's not a smart movie, particularly. I think it's kind of like a Coles Notes approach to history, but they love this bit of history. They're very authentic in their presentation of it for the most part, while still maintaining it being a Hollywood movie. And I have to say, like I had one complaint when I was talking about uh, True Right. I have one complaint when I talk about Tombstone. And unfortunately... It's the girl.
2: <laughs> Dana Delaney's Dana
1: Delaney, anytime she enters the movie, the energy of the movie just stops. I don't think she's bad in it. I think right. that I think that she's doing everything the screenplay wants her to do. But the movie is so busy being macho and awesome right. that whenever she enters the screen, it's like, we everybody has to stop having fun. Mom's in the room, or something like that, you know? <laughs> Everybody's settled down. Now we have to learn something, right? She actually, instead of becoming this sort of romantic motivation that the movie wants her to be, is sort of the stone that's trying to slow down what just wants to be a full-blooded action shoot 'em up with a way, way, Way too good cast Right. <laughs> Kurt Russell sort of leads the show. Was playing Wyatt Earp, and uh, he seems to be born to play a cowboy. He, uh, I, him, yeah. I I love his work. I like, I like the, the actor generally, but I particularly like him playing badasses like Snake Pliston or, or right. the, the Bone Tomahawk. He's a real fucking tough dude in that, <laughs> uh, and I like him with the big western beard. You know. Uh, he, he
2: looks good with that
1: duster of a mustache. Yeah, he makes it work. Not everybody can pull that shit off, but Kurt Russell, yeah, man, can pull that shit. <laughs> um, yeah, he moves to Tombstone and basically takes over the place because yeah, of his reputation. Yeah, quite quickly. He gets a major stake in the, one of the most popular saloons, and is dubbed.
2: although not a popular saloon. Well, he turns it into. He turns a it
1: laptop. into anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. that's the the great Billy Bob Thornton scene. Is <laughs> um, and of course we're going to have to talk about. Val Kilmer. Yeah. Because he's fucking amazing in this movie. It's a
2: good marriage of the right kind of screenplay, the right kind of dialogue with an actor and a character.
1: The planets really align. Doc Holliday's a really interesting, formidable character. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dennis Quaid was playing him in another movie yeah. very, very shortly after this, The Wide I thought right. both interpretations were really, really good, really, really strong. But again... Uh, Wyatt Earp was being a sprawling pretentious wannabe dances with a sort of epic. Yes. And this movie just wants to entertain you, and for that, I like it more than <laughs> like Wyatt, Wyatt Earp. Earp. Yeah. Uh, but there's a dividing line. I think he did another movie a few years after this called Assault and Sea. He where did. Where I could see him really caring, but this is this is the part where where at some point Val Kilmer's passion for acting has just died because until like the late '90s, even if he was in a bad movie, he was usually the best part of that right. bad movie and then basically from the aughts onward he just doesn't seem to give a shit yeah, what's a memorable like, movie he's done since the yeah
2: it wasn't C. kiss kiss bang bang kind of a, a a resurgence for him more so for Downey than for him but it yeah. was like I remember when that came out and when I did finally see it I'm like oh this is
1: all right. These I'll two are it. these
2: yeah, these two are really cooking together. This is
1: good acting. This is good writing. Good movie. It's probably the best script that he'd been offered in fifteen years. Yeah. So he might have actually given a shit. Yeah. But I've seen him in a lot of direct-to-video horror movies and thrillers where he is there for a paycheck, and it's on his face. Well, in th- this movie, yeah. he is amazing.
2: <laughs> I think he he uh, you know again this is like secondhand you know stories being passed on through through friends and and peers I've met. Uh, but yeah I think there was a point where like his success and his skill he, actually even before I remember someone telling me that that lives in New York just that he th- got to a point where he started believing the hype right and how he carried himself and how he interacted with other people was just as much if not the main reason why people like I don't want to work with that asshole yeah, anymore. he kind of
1: ignored himself you might be one of the greatest living actors in the world but you're also this huge and, asshole
2: and if nobody wants to work with you
1: yeah yeah, yeah, but I think I think at least Norton softened in that direction because I know he used to be really stuck up. Like he wouldn't participate in your movie unless he got a producer and a writer credit. Right, right? He right. he was not just some hired hand. He was a creative component of the movie, and now he's working with Wes Anderson. And I guarantee you, he's not calling any shots. Not an Anderson. No. So like, yeah. I think maybe some lessons were learned, but. Uh, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Whether he self-destructed or whether he, his his love of acting died, something changed with Val Kilmer. And it's like these move this movie in particular, too. I always look back and oh, what could have been with yeah. Val? What could have been with Val?
2: But so many lines, and like, I and mean, and just you know, we've got them the, on the table here for reference. I have this copy of it, this DVD director's cut. But then I also re got a copy on Blu-ray. Oh yeah. So I rewatched it this, this past time. Making extra timings. pretty. Yeah, it just. Uh, if it's any indication of where these rankings might end up landing at the end, this is the only one I own. Oh, really? <laughs> well, that, 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 that might affect the rank. Uh, fun
1: fact or strange fact George P. Cosmatos, who's yeah. the accredited director, apparently was maybe going through some shit while he was making this movie. Apparently, the production was troubled. There was days where another uh, director, Kevin Giar, yeah, and. Uh, apparently rumor bill Kurt Russell himself stepped in for director duties on certain
0: days
2: well, well I think I think yeah they stepped in for Kevin Jari oh I see I think I've got I think yeah Cosmatos was brought in to replace Kevin Jari who was going to write and direct right Kevin Jari actually wrote one of my favorite movies Glory oh nice and so I don't know what happened on this one where th- if it's Writing not a screenplay is a different
1: thing than yeah. making a movie, and especially with this sprawling a cast with this much going on. If it's, I don't know if it was his first back, It might have been. It I could have, have just have, been yeah. overwhelming for him. But anyway, there was some troubles going on behind the scenes. But in in true like Hollywood fashion, when you watch the movie, you, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> I remember no exactly, and I remember this is well, this will be quite a
2: few years ago now. I know, <laughs> I know what it was. Um, do you remember when that, uh, right on the hype of American Idol, because I was still working as a projectionist at this point. So uh, maybe the first year of American Idol, the second year it happened. Anyways, they got Kelly Clarkson and that Justin dude who was the runner-up. Uh, just be, for
1: the record, you're talking to the wrong guy. I have very fair. No Anyways,
2: idea. anyways <laughs> they took the, the winner and the, the other finalists from like the First season of American Idol, and they're like, I know, let's put him in like a beach movie. Okay. We'll, we'll make
1: a movie. From Justin to Kelly. Yes. I know. Which I
2: never saw, but I remember when it came to the movie theater and I had to screen it. And at that time, I remember seeing Roger Ebert, because he was still alive at that point, talking about, he's like, and he said, um, There's only ever been two movies that we've never been given access to to review. Before, the before, before you know, on, on the release, and the, and the reason why he brought this up because Justin Kelly was yeah. one of them, and he had just come out, and so someone asked him, well, "What was the other one?" He said, "Tombstone."
1: Weird. They were not confident about this. Yeah, because at remember- that point, so
2: I don't know if it's if that ties into all the shit that was happening on set, but they did not let them view it and review it ahead of its release. And I remember him saying in that interview, he was like, "And that's too
1: bad." <laughs> I don't remember the numbers of the box office if it was like a particularly huge hit or if it was eaten by the pet detective or what, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) because that was an absurdly huge hit at the time, yeah, no joke, yeah. Uh, um, But yeah, it's it's interesting that they weren't confident about it because to me, in my mind, it was a big hit. All of the guys at high school seemed to love Tombstone, right? Right. Like everyone was on board, and
2: uh, yeah, I don't think I don't recall it being considered a flop. I guess nor was it considered. A huge hit at the time, um, but so, but then again, I came
1: to it a couple of years after its release, too, right? So. We haven't really talked about the plot at all, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think honestly, like it's entertaining just for the amount of faces you're going to see, and it's a it, standard setup. It feels like a James Cameron film for a while, like yeah. Bill Paxton yeah. and Michael Bean's in there, and Steve Lang Michael Bean in this movie, yeah. Michael Bean kills, they did this movie, um. So, yeah, Lighter takes control of Tombstone. Uh, this gang have called themselves the Cowboys where these red sashes have been causing problems with local businesses and landowners and have uh, been you know, yeah. pillaging and killing without anybody Holding them calling to, them yeah. to it. So he's going to hold them to it. And it costs him his younger brother. And then it gets personal. <laughs> <laughs> and what we have is a series of shootouts. And some of them feel like there's a, the infamous one where Russell Crowe walks across a creek to execute oh, Kurt, Powers Booth. Uh, Kurt Russell. The, Kurt Russell does. Oh, what did I say? You said Russell Crowe. Oh, last Kurt, movie. Yeah, last movie. Kurt Russell. Yes, goes across the stream to shoot Powers Booth, and just a hail of bullets raining around him, nothing touching him. Repeating the word no. Yeah, that's no. one of the parts where I'm
2: like, that, that's kind of where I, one of the few spots where it falls down for me. But here's the thing:
1: <laughs> according to the historical record of that shoot up, that's how that shit went down. Down, Right. And. uh, I kind of like that when you see scenes like that in a movie where it's one of two things. Either it's incredibly lazy screenwriting or it's based on something that actually <laughs> happened, right? It's weird that we don't, we don't give credit to true stories when we see them sometimes. Sometimes weird shit happens. But,
2: but what that moment did do for me then, though, is then it? it sets up a great fucking line from doc where it's like well where's what <laughs> now walking on water <laughs> exactly. like, like, no, they don't even believe that he just did that shit yeah
1: uh, the, the movie calls itself on it and yeah i think it's more the execution that troubles me the slow motion no is yes. what really yeah. like i don't like i think the conceit of it is like uh, those guns not really you know professionally made not probably cleaned a lot a lot of panic in the air it's not easy to deal with the pressure of a a gunfight when it's life or death we'll we'll come back to that topic in another another movie (laughs) exactly but in a way being the calmest and most collected person in the gunfight is the thing that might get you through it more than being the quickest with your hands yeah so i think that it could have been done more credibly and unfortunately in that particular scene it's not um but the movie is just just a series of really good confrontations occasionally interrupted with some lame girl stuff and i hate to be that dismissive about the lame girl stuff but that's how i feel
2: well and and rewatching it this time too having not seen it for a few years now it actually had not that it goes super deep but it actually had this other level that i hadn't really paid much attention to before in terms of them setting up you know death is one of the horseman of the apocalypse he's going to come on a pale horse and whatever Mm -hmm. and just all this devil imagery right that's actually in the movie all the way through even in point where we're during their play you know dana delaney comes out and they're doing a dr faustus thing with the devil like there's this kind of whole the stuff that's kind of playing underneath i'm like oh that's there the whole time and i never really gave that a little tip of the hat it's like okay there's it isn't just like shoot him up
1: but I think that the shoot up aspect is, or the, the continual confrontation, even if it's not a shit up it'll be a war of words, right? Yes. I fucking love this scene with Val Kilmer, <laughs> like, fleecing all of these gamblers,
0: <laughs> and getting
1: really shitty with them, like, I
0: yeah.
1: ah, no, let's have a spelling contest. Uh, but, yeah, it's a scene where he's cheating at, a, at cards and there's confrontation. Or there's a scene between Billy Bob Thornton who's the loudmouth bullying people out of the yeah. the cantina where Wyatt Earp and he have that confrontation. And, of course, there's the famous shootout at the O.K. Quaker. There's just a yeah. series of confrontation, epic confrontation. That's the engine that the movie runs on. That's yeah. when it's exciting. That's when I'm, I'm shoveling the popcorn and yeah. I've got a big smile on my face. I, Is it a really, really smart movie? I don't know that it is. I think it's just a Western that loves being a Western and is really good at being a Western, you know? Uh, It's higher in my esteem just because it hit me right in that sweet spot right at the right time where I just like, yeah, this movie kicks ass. But I think it is less like an Oscar quote-unquote movie, whatever that means, right, and more a piece of entertainment, which is fine. Give me entertainment. I need to escape all of the terrible realities. So... um, have fun with Tombstone, and it will work for you. If you fight this movie, you'll win, I think, is, is what yeah. I'm saying. It's, it, it,
2: like I said earlier on, and I think in the intro there, that it felt like this movie could have been made not only in 93, but if you told me it would come out in 99, mm-hmm. or even 2005, I go, yep.
1: Yeah, the cast might feel a little weirder, but yeah, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's the only thing that really calibrates it. And I, and
2: really. it was I, I found myself flagging moments of like, huh, isn't that interesting? Like, in terms of just the st- structure too, like, we're like uh, the killing of the marshal Fred, and then when Powers Booth character Curly, whatever, kills him in the street. In the middle of an open yeah, it's stage. like right there. It's like there's your inciting event. Fifty minutes into the movie, it's like now things are going to have to shift. Yeah. And you know, and then the next kind of big shift is, and as you said, when Morgan is then killed. You know? Yeah. So like, well, you brought him in now, so now you're going to, we're going to be propelled into the, the final push of the movie. I was like, God, God damn. I was
1: like, it's structure-wise, it's actually pretty... Pretty clean. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty clean, but again, not reinventing the wheel at all. I mean, they're not bringing a lot new to the table, right? No. It's a pretty classic no. revenge tale. And again, Wyatt's motivations seem... I mean, he wants to clean up the town to a degree, but it's not. But it's not it's, him at first, right? Right. It's, has, his,
2: it's his brothers who are like, we can't sit back and make money off this town. He's dragged into yeah. it. Yeah. Uh,
1: and it's also yeah. interesting how callous they are about the executing of the, the cowboys. I see a red sash, I kill the man wearing it. No conversation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when a guy reaches over what he thinks is, a, is an opium pipe, and turns out to be, be a gun, a gun barrel. That, that ends his life. Yeah. It's supposedly a haha or almost a heroic moment, and really, that's clearly an Anything act but. of cowardly murder. <laughs> yes, but in this movie, we just let it slide. Oh, but
2: Ike, you know <laughs> Stephen Lang's character. Ike, he's like he's the Steve one Bang. you love to hate him, and like and he's the one. Who, like, I do know. They kind of give a little narration bit at the end so you know he but ultimately
0: he's that meets slippery shit but he's he no one that... gets
1: touched. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Son of a bitch
1: And there's some truth to that, right? There's always that one guy who seems to get away with it. I, I yeah. always relate to the that the John C. McGinley character in Platoon. Yeah. Who's like a complete cowardly asshole through the whole movie and survives the end fight by hiding under dead bodies yeah. and gets a promotion for his <laughs> It's just like <laughs> that character. But okay. Stephen Lang, you're right, is Definitely that in this movie. <laughs> yeah.
2: Some of the things, you know, like, uh, you know, oh, there's Terry O'Quinn, you know, before Lost mm-hmm. fame, but then, they, then you walk, we're gonna talk about it, he's in Young Guns, too. It's oh, like, yeah. man, he was doing westerns for a stretch there. He, he's been
1: around forever. He just became visible with Lost,
2: yeah. it seems. I, and the other thing, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm like, why do I recognize the voice? It's Robert Mitchum, who's like... He's narrating. He's narrating. I don't know, the narration maybe is actually the thing that maybe bugs me... A little bit? A little bit, in terms of like, you know, I, at least it bookends it, I suppose... I yeah, was like, oh, now we're just kind of getting this little... That
1: might be the one piece of early 90s thing that creeps into this. I think that the movie didn't trust us to follow the narrative. They kept on feeling the need to catch us up with what was going on. Yeah. And I think if it was made today, they would just trust us to figure it out. Yeah, that's a good point. That's <laughs> but, a very good point. Uh, I'm not going to talk shit about Tombstone. I've loved it for too long to change my mind. Uh, yeah. I stubbornly enjoy this movie and shall continue to.
0: <laughs> Agreed.
2: My guess is you're calling yourself Mr. William Money. Say what?
0: You don't look no meaner than hell, cold blooded damn killer. I ain't like that anymore, kid. $1,000 reward, Will. Nobody's gonna come. So you still have that Spencer rifle, huh? Yeah. He's my partner. he
2: don't go, I don't go. What's come to you, three ways?
0: Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm gonna go back to being the way I was.
2: Are you really going to kill them, cowboys?
0: I do not like assassins. Or men of low character. We ain't bad men no more. We're farmers. There are a lot of savages! There's a bunch of bloody savages! Assassins! Well, I guess they have it coming. We all have it coming, Captain. Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. The man don't want to get killed. Better clear on out the back.
1: Unforgiven. So I don't have a lot of respect for the Oscars. I just like the. <laughs> They, they they so consistently seem to get got it wrong for me that I just right. like I don't even understand like can, can we hit the reset button or, or or again like have an award show that like every year we celebrate the best movies starting from <laughs> the beginning again and we get a do over now that they've aged now that we know you know how how the land lays and how they've grown like <laughs> we can dish out the awards a few. decades It would be interesting
2: later. to kind of do something like a a, a ten year old. Yeah, exactly. Or like, how's it held up over time? Or
1: not because it's the best movie that came out in the last six months, but you know, yeah. how does it? How does it? How's it grown? How's it aged? A lot of great movies, a lot of famous movies, were box office bombs. But it's hard to fight the decision to give at least I would say the best director uh, award to Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven. It also won Best Picture. <clears throat> but basically, what Clint Eastwood's done here. Uh, is destroyed the image that he spent yes. his entire career basically building. And it's not like that he won't go back to doing badass action pictures after this. I believe shortly after this he did In the Line of Fire, which is one of my favorite late-stage Clint Eastwood <laughs> action movies. Um, but instead of you know the man with no name showing up to town to mend all the wrongs and then disappear, you know, show up to a place, change the place, leave. The classic sort of hero, hero's journey. And this is an anti-Western if there ever was one for me. William Money is a contract killer. (laughs) He kills people for money. He is a killer of women and children. And that's who he is. He is better at killing people than anybody else. (laughs) And even, uh, you know, at this over the hill stage, yeah, as the movie is portraying them, it's funny that this movie is like so old, and <laughs> they're playing over the hill like 25 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Whatever.
2: Like it was like 91 so, when it came out. Yeah, <laughs> for 92, I guess it was.
1: So what, what's he playing now if he was over the hill in 92? Good oh, yeah. God. This is, this is pre-Space Cowboys. <laughs> exactly. hill. <right? Really laughs> things start to get silly. Well, and that is the other interesting thing of Clint Eastwood, the director. A lot of people think that this was like his first movie. And no, he was directing films since the 70s. And he very interesting, diverse films. And he didn't always star in them. Some of them are yeah, really... Yeah, he, he had done Bird by this point, had he? Bird, yeah. yeah. Um, he did this hilarious uh, Charlie Sheen cop movie, The Rookie. Which is just terrible, but also kind of fascinating to watch. Um, And yeah, you know, it was obviously before he could do whatever he wanted. He would do such strange things like Space Cowboys, as you mentioned. But um, I think that he, like I said, he would do diverse genres. He directed himself in a couple Westerns too. uh, But he had really developed a game. And he really focused himself on making the anti-Western. I was sort of talking about the, destruction, the hero destruction themes of 310 to Yuma. Uh, I think that the entire movie, in a lot of ways, is sort of encapsulated in this one mini-scene or mini-movie that happens in Unforgiven, where uh, Richard Harris's character shows up to tell the story of all his great feats of, you know, being a badass gunslinger. <laughs> and Gene Hackman beats the living fuck out of him. And sends him away, beaten and humiliated, because the heroic ideal of the Western is a fairy tale, yeah, and he 's not going to subject himself to hearing
0: it
2: and I love that moment when he comes out uh, richard harris 's character, when he comes out of like the barber shop when <laughs> when he 's first surrounded yeah. by um, the, the quote unquote law yeah. of the town. And when he has that moment, that realization of, like, oh, God. <laughs>
1: I am in some serious trouble.
2: Yeah, and I think he, it's just a great line under his breath, like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, this person, I know this person, this person knows me. This is not going to fly.
1: I am in trouble. Yeah. I am in trouble. I also like that we, the audience has a character to sort of represent them slightly from Canadian character actor Saul Rubinek. Mm-hmm. He's originally sort of documenting the the history of the the Richard Harris character, and sort of stumbles on into Gene Hackman, and then by proxy William Money and his, his partners. And he's sort of this outsider watching it and hiding behind the piano when the guns going <laughs> off, and like he's watching this as like this terrified outsider, which is sort of how like I feel in this movie. It's a western, and everything looks familiar, but the feel is off. The feel is grim. It's like raining for most of the second half of this movie, and I feel cold because of the rain. And it seems like it's always raining at night. (laughs) (laughs) It clears off during the day. Dry and hot all day, and (laughs) wet and cold (laughs) all night. So, yeah, you have the classic imagery and the classic sort of, I guess, appearance of these archetypes, but they're all given dimension. Gene Hackman has the appearance of an altruistic sheriff, but there's something about him that enjoys the power and the violence that his role is you know and uh, he rules with an iron fist like I I love the moment
2: once you know the, the the writer has now come over to his side yes and it's raining at night and he's a poor carpenter his the house that he's building it's is leaking, leaking whatever yeah. and he just has that one line where you can either shoot or hang the carpenter I can't remember which one he says and just that what would you just? What do you say? Yeah, <laughs> he gets really fucking yeah. mad, really <laughs> right dark, really quick, yeah. and it's like, yeah,
1: yeah, that don't don't
2: don't funny. piss in this man's cornflakes. No.
1: but again, the, he has the appearance of this perfect little idyllic cabin, but it's full of holes. Yes, right? yeah, it literally, full literally full is. You're absolutely uh, right. There's depth that you don't see in your typical spaghetti western. One of my favorites that I remember watching when my dad as a kid is <laughs> Pale Rider, Right. because it has sort of the ghosty sort of aspect to it. Instead of him just being a mysterious man with no name, he might in fact be a vengeful spirit, which, you know, I, I, I enjoy. It. But, again, he's sort of playing in a paint-by-numbers, very familiar good and evil place. <laughs> um it's interesting to me how I know money is terrible, much like I knew that the Russell Crowe character Three Ten was terrible, but my heart went out to money more than it did to Russell Crowe, at least this time, uh, because he's aware that he's damned himself and uh, you know when it might be interesting maybe the Russell Crowe character is a younger version is a younger
2: version of you know what I, I mean I, you know, you can't no, well, I mean, they, they, that would be a yeah. really
1: good way to look at 310 to Yuma for me actually yeah. it's, it's sort of the beginning of William Money's journey of realizing that I actually am terrible I mean I'm able to survive in this world and even thrive in this world yeah. but I am a force of evil and <laughs> not, to, not to, to tie everything back to 310 Yuma too but then there's also
2: some shades of Evans of Christian Bale's characters like His wife, well in this particular, his wife is now deceased and he's tasked with taking care of his two young children, who he obviously had later in life, because he's an older man to begin with, but he doesn't appear to be very good at what he does, or has had a bad string of luck, and so he's in a position where like, i got to take this goddamn job if I want to have any chance of giving my kids... He's good at one thing. Yeah.
1: He's good at being a bounty hunter. He's good at being a killer. And... uh, it's doubly tragic you know he he kind of corrupts the people around him his his good friend played by the always dependable morgan freeman you know he still has a wife he still has a reason to live but he still has this romantic idea of the the life that he once had but he's not young and spry he's not who he was as he finds out through the progress of the the movie he might not even be able to pull the trigger anymore but being in this bubble of William Money and not being able to pull the trigger is not going to be good for you. Yeah, as, it out, it as it turns, it as turns out. As it turns out. Well, very literally, but just generally. Even the little the, the young kid who wants to prove himself to be yes. a badass but has yet to be given the opportunity. Well, what's his big heroic opportunity? He shoots a man sitting on the crapper. Right? Shoots yeah. a man in an outhouse. Yeah. And he makes himself sick over it. Uh, the deaths mean something in this movie. It's not like... Uh, in the Dead, another Russell oh, Western, right? where people just get shot and fall down and that's it, right? No, the guy gets gut shot and he screams and cries and slowly bleeds out. Yeah. And William Money even says, Look, give, give the him water. some water. I will not shoot you, Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like this some is terrible. Yeah. This is terrible. He might even deserve what's happening to him, but this is terrible
2: terrible I just, like the moments I marked down to in terms of even looking at it from a structure standpoint like being a movie that's around two hours long right like it's like an hour and nine minutes before they even arrive in Big Whiskey in the town like it takes them that long in terms of the the, the word of the bounty for these two guys for for what they did to the women
1: yeah uh, that instinct- the instigating factor. I guess we didn't mention it. A, a prostitute is viciously, viciously yeah. assaulted, slashed across her face repeatedly. Multiple times. Yeah. Uh, and the the punishment that Gene Hackman gives out is not enough for this. Brothel. No, come back in the spring and give him some of your your horses as <laughs> payback. Payback. Yeah. And not even so, to the women. Not to the to, women. To the men. Ma- to the to the
2: owner, to the of, the owner the of the establishment. Yeah.
1: So they're furious and they get some money together and they hire really money to kill these men. And we don't like these men. Like, William Money, he's still a bad guy, but the people he's killing are also bad people. Yeah, yeah. The weird wild card is, again, Gene Hackman. Remember when Gene Hackman was still around? I miss Gene Hackman. Apparently he, fame drove him crazy as well, apparently. (laughs) the Later into his career, the more difficult he became to work with. But what an amazing actor. And, you know, you cast this wrong and there's no depth to that character. Because I think in order for this to work, we have to still kind of like him a little bit. Even though he does some terrible things and the movie is telling us he's the villain, like... It, it's it got to hurt a little bit unforgiven's not worried about hurting you it's not just another mindless clint eastwood shoot him up it's it's way deeper than
2: that. yes absolutely and i and i love the scene you know i think it gets quoted a lot because it is it's after they've kind of killed the second uh perpetrator if you will of the of the assault when the young kid shoots him in the outhouse and they're waiting uh for their money to arrive, and I guess it's, yeah, it's before they know that Morgan Freeman's character has been taken and actually killed by that point. But they have that great scene between him and the kid. And he has that great line, it's a hell of a thing killing a man. Yeah. And then I think the other one, it's like two of the best lines in the whole movie are in that scene that we all have it coming. We all got it coming. Yeah. That's yeah. what I always yeah. think about. Yeah. when. uh so I mean, He had it coming, well, we've all got it so coming. Me too. Yeah. If I
1: get killed on an outhouse someday, it's probably justice done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The great and amazing thing to me, moving to the climactic shootout, which is like, well, barroom shootouts happen in so many Westerns, it's like almost ubiquitous, but this really does feel like the barroom shootout to me, right? One guy, a room full of bad guys, he kills all the bad guys, the innocents scamble away, and you believe it credibly. Well, but, I think
2: what's so great about it is, is his first, his first order business. Who owns this place? Yeah, exactly. I do. Boom, Boom. and that sets the tone. Yeah, exactly.
1: the the, oh, oh, Christ! If he was going to decorate his establishment with my friend, he should have armed himself. <laughs> yeah. that's on him. Yeah. Uh, no, but like this, it's not a righteous thing that he's doing, but. Now it's personal. It's sort of the now it's personal moment. You know, he wasn't happy about any of this, and he kind of dragged his friend. Although you got the feeling like Morgan Freeman's character was fairly easily seduced to 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 go on the trip. Yeah, Um, but he did not want this to end that way. That was one of the few people that has been a friend for a long time that he could actually, you know, know somebody uh, and help was coming to be paid. Yeah. And I talked earlier in, in one of the reviews about how it's usually the calmest person in the room, not the fastest person in the room.
2: That's a great... Yeah, I think I wrote that down too. Uh,
1: did, did, did you, was it on this He's one? absolutely on this one. stoic. As yeah, he walks. a man
2: who keeps his head. There, that yeah. was the one quote I wrote down. He's absolutely Gene Hackman stoic. says the line.
1: Yeah, he yeah. walks into that room. He sees all of those men. He doesn't even know how many of them are armed. But it's, it's hilarious because they're actually talking about this... They're about to set out in the morning to go hunt him. Right? Yeah. And he just and walks he just in. Walks in. Army of men. And he yeah, like you say, kills that unarmed guy outright and tells Gene Hackman he's here to kill him and by implication anybody like who's gonna wants stand him? in yeah. his way. Yeah. And he proceeds to do exactly that. Yeah. And like describing it, you'd see like how do they pull it? Like how? How? He doesn't do anything to dodge bullets or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. He's not some ninja diving behind the bar. He just, when the rifle is empty, he yep. moves to the pistols, and when the pistols are empty, the uh, room is, is empty. <laughs> what,
2: what I love about that messy fight, too, right, is like, because Gene Hackman, he, he is the one that sets up in his interview scene earlier, where he says it's not usually the, the best shot or the fastest shot. It's whoever keeps their head. yeah, He's going to come out alive. And I I love the fact that, you know, he goes to shoot him and it it misfires, but he just throws the fucking gun at him so he can get the next, like it's, it's, it's not this great like walking on water moment shooting uh it's yeah.
1: it's not heroic either no. right like now you're distracted by the gun, so i can gut shoot you and he does gut shoot him so that he can say some spiteful words before he executes him right, right. like yeah. uh, it's all terrifyingly deliberate and uh the way he goes to the bar and starts drinking the alcohol like he's been fighting it and fighting so long and fighting it and fighting it yeah. and no i am a killer i am a killer i, I Cannot pretend to be something that I am not. What was really cool about watching this one again, because it had been ages
2: since I'd seen it. It's aged well, I think. Too uh, um, was like I knew it was shot in Canada because a friend of Alberta. mine, a friend of mine from high school, uh, Matt Anderson was his name. I remember him saying, "The kid that plays Clint Eastwood's son." Okay. He's like, I know him. Like he mm-hmm. was like in I something like soccer camp with me and right. we were pen pals. So that's how I remember making the connection of like, oh, it was made in Canada at that point. So watching it again this time, I did a tweet on, on social media about it. And uh, Lisa Repo Martel, who is a Canadian actor who I know, like we're friends on Facebook. I was in a play directed by her husband. All of a sudden she pops up yeah. as one of the young women. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, like what the hell? Like, one of my my friends was in the best
0: picture. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, I know uh, I grew up in and around Edmonton. Uh, One of the men that my mom was working with at the time at some insurance company, which I can't remember the name of, uh, would do like stage work from time to time. And he has a one line role on the train Uh, Someone's about to talk shit to uh, Richard Harris. Right. He sort of says, No, 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 don't.
2: don't That's probably so and so.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, So that's all he had to do in the movie. But still, like you say, one line in fucking unforgiven I'll take it I will take it Um, it is not the fun western is what I would it's not really caution I just want people to go in with open eyes right this is not the movie that's like tombstone was where it's like fun and epic this is like I said closer to no country for old man territory it's grim it's dark it's like uh, the antithesis of what what Clint Eastwood built his career on, which is why it was so perfect yeah. in a way that he it, put it to it. An and end. speaking
2: to what you said earlier, talking about the Robert Mitchum narration bookending Tombstone, that was the one thing that I didn't particularly like as much on Unforgiven is those kind of scrolling narration at the Rather beginning at the end. the end. I was just like,
0: no, didn't need it. it.
1: Don't need it. I think
2: there's and enough, enough stuff that comes t- up in the dialogue that his wife is dead and yeah. whatnot that we don't need to
1: And again I wonder if it came out today if those titles would be there. It yeah. seems like the, the 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 deeper we get into move like the progression of cinema, the more the audience is respected, which is why movies are getting better.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. There's just something about the font that was used, like that was what dated it.
1: Yeah. For me. It made it even seem older than Robert
2: Mitchum right. doing a voice for tombstone is this kind of scrolling Narration in this font that made it seem way older than Tombstone than it really is because it's only a few years that actually separates
1: them. Yeah, 92. yeah. If you haven't seen Unforgiven, I invite you to give it a watch. Can't go north because Murphy's got men coming out of Fort Sumter.
2: Can't go south because he's got Brady coming in. East is no good because you got John Kenny coming up now.
0: Let's dance. Regulators, let's settle up.
2: Just void me, one of them over 21. We don't have a lot of fun now. <laughs> All I see are hired thieves. Get off my property! Oh!
0: You were supposed
2: to serve 11 warrants and expose the ring. Instead, you went out on a rampage.
0: Get ready if I have do Lotto, talk like that. Objection,
2: your honor. The governor's revoked your deputization power. You're now wanted by the legitimate law as well as those outside the law. You're being hunted by troops. Bonnie is believed to be the captain of a
1: deputized gang, Billy the kid, huh?
2: The governor's put a $200 bounty on your head.
1: Easy, hand, pals. Uh, so, full disclosure, not a big Emilio Estevez fan. Um, <laughs> it's not that he's even terrible. I, the first time I ever saw a movie, and this was at a young age, where I sort of understood the concept of, like, Vanity Project, it was this movie Wisdom that he wrote and directed at a very young age in the 80s about this guy who robs banks to stick it to the man and he's sleeping with Demi Moore and he has this... It's the most pretentious, cheesy... Like, see, at I 12 years that. old, I was like, what the fuck, right? It probably didn't even make the, the leap from VHS to DVD, right? Because no it's one like, wanted to do the, the transfer. Yeah, like, look it up on IMDb if you want, but... I, I won in I remember being miscued by that. I just... I. I even at a young age, I saw through that movie, and then uh, I always he was I always thought he was the weakest link in the breakfast club, but it kind of makes sense because uh, if, if that's a movie is sort of an expression of all the people in high school, that would be the guy that I would have liked right. the least in right. high school like I didn't relate to his character at all yeah. But, you know, he's also the son of Martin Sheen. He grew up in Hollywood. He got to be an actor because he wanted to be an actor. He got to be a director because he wanted to be a director. And it's not that his acting is that bad or that his directing is that bad. It's just that he's taking out somebody else's seat, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned, you know. Uh, I remember at a young age, some kids saying, you know, The Mighty Ducks is fun, and I'm just watching The Mighty Ducks, and it's just doing fucking nothing for me. And for some reason, it was... I just... uh, the only thing I liked about the first Mission Impossible was the death of, of Emilio Estevez. Estevez. That's
0: awesome. So here's the
1: thing. <laughs> Despite that, I think he's fucking awesome in this movie. <laughs> in, some way. in some ways, he's weirdly perfect as Billy the Kid with this giddy sort of over the top thing that he's doing. Um, a lot of people like sort of dismiss Young Guns, saying like, "Well, yeah, it's the it's the brat Pat from the '80s playing cowboy." And yes, yes, I will concede <laughs> that point. But they actually kind of look more like cowboys do. If you see the few pictures taken of the age, um, you were kind of an adult person by the time you were a teenager, right? And, you know, when you're leading a herd of cattle across the country, you might be 20, 22 years old, right? So the gristled Clint Eastwood look is probably less authentic than the baby-faced kid look, right? Right. That's kind of what more cowboys would look like. <laughs>
2: what I love uh, in the movie, too, is they have that... that- bit where they're showing him posing for a picture. It's, it actually is they're recreating that one of the exactly. few pictures of, of
1: Billy, Billy the Kid. kid. Yeah. Um, and if you can't get past you know, the presence of Charlie Sheen, Lou Diamond Phillips, and Emilio Estevez, they fill out the backdrop with like Terrence Stamp and Jack fucking Pallence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do love
0: Jack Pallence. There's no actor who delivers <laughs> style.
2: This is pre-Batman <laughs> and pre-City Slickers and pre-one-arm push-ups. This and is classic
1: this, Jack Balance. He is such a specific actor. He was, must have been like the Christopher Walken of his time. Like, there's something so specifically Jack Palance unmistakable. <laughs> Jack Palance, but you're right. I think this led into Batman, which led into him getting sort of a uh, repopularized in in, in his later career. But he's hilarious, and he's over the top, and I love it. (laughs) And that's kind of how I feel about the movie. It's hilarious and over the top, and I like it in spite of itself, you know? It's got a lot more harder edges than you'd expect, I think, for the Brat Pack playing cowboys and Indians, you know? But, um... Uh, yeah the background players the 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 shootouts and the surprising level of stakes that they managed to to take out of the scenario won me over now. The trick is it 's in with a bunch of really, really good movies and yeah, like I can exactly. work defense for young guns and can say that it worked for me, but like when it comes down to it, am I going to be enthusiastic about recommending young guns to a lot of people? No, I think if you're about my age and you saw it at that time in your yes. youth, it's this sort of nostalgic package that you can sort of exactly. Go back to. I
2: remember renting it from the video store
1: and watching it on you know the VCR, and that was my introduction to this movie. That final cabin shootout, I remember watching over and over again. I would like rewind it and watch it again. <laughs> Just the, right. So it's not subtle, it's not smart, but it is fun.
2: Yeah, and I I think too like. I, Especially the intro, like the whole bit of of Billy being introduced to the regulators and what, like the whole f- first part of the movie, doesn't feel like a stretch. It doesn't feel like it's you know the music dates it. I think and we were talking about that earlier, maybe even off mic before we started. But in terms of images, it, it isn't really until you know they start doing like the. The hallucination sequence and some of the things like that, where you're like, "Okay, this is some dated filmmaking." Yeah. <laughs> Apart from the music, right? But I remember too, like checking on it after, like
1: they're they're pretty
2: accurate in terms of historical record. Like, I think the one thing I remember seeing, like, like they that house burning did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, they did escape, although. Um, oh shoot, is it Charlie? Is that the the one? JC Simas. Yeah. Charlie, he did not die in that shootout. He lived and died like later a few on. years later.
1: Um
2: but like, well, that I, apart, it's like no, they you know, they
1: really were building on things. They were that... more authentic than they needed to be, given again, like I said, by yeah. Pat playing Western. Yeah. Um yeah, for sure. I I think that there's a turning point in the movie. There's an initial sort of charming point to the movie where it's like they're young, they're they're being sort of Pushed in the gently in a in a nicer direction by Terrence Stamp, but you know this isn't gonna last long. Even even when their savior figure, you know, does get killed, the movie still has this sort of feeling of it's like a, a, a fun adventure story that we're gonna see. But there's a scene involving Charlie Sheen <laughs> yeah. which I think yeah. changes the tone yeah, of the movie absolutely. drastically. First of all, it's Charlie Sheen, so we're expecting him to have more of a role to play in the movie. Yeah. And secondly, there's this old Harmless-looking drunk, and he kills the Charlie Sheen yeah. Shoots him through the heart. Like there's no no speech that he's yeah. given. There's no like.
2: And and, uh, and I remember thinking like, wait a minute is the other guy dead in the in the outhouse we never get that answer
1: you assume it but you don't know it they don't give you that but like all of a sudden like that that's shocking and there's real stakes to it and like they don't give him that movie moment where he says something right before he goes out there, which tells you he's gonna die or (laughs) that he bleeds out slowly and apologizes for being you know (laughs) no
2: Uh, it's like, oh, Christ, one of the guys who we thought was going to probably be right to the end of this thing is dead at, what did I wrote down yeah forty nine minutes in
1: and I do think that 's when the movie goes from being sort of a fun rollicking western adventure to a movie that has actually some decent stakes to it. all of a sudden it 's not just them having fun, but I gotta like uh, I will say nice things about Emilio because this is the movie that I can. There's something about the crazy energy that he has, that weird cackle that he has, even while he's shooting the gun, that you're like, he's motivated in this. Like, he has a reason to be doing the violence he's doing, but his real flaw might be how much he's enjoying it. Yes. <laughs>
2: what, what I did enjoy about,
1: about the movie and that character in particular,
2: because it really is, like, the centerpiece, right, and, and how everyone else relates to Billy the Kid, that obviously I would not have had the insight at age 12 yeah. or 13 when I saw it the first time is that you know Charlie Sheen's character Dick he really is sending like the lamb to the slaughter in that first bit like well you go check it out because like, yeah. he doesn't want to do it himself so we'll just send this cocky little kid
1: well he has to prove that he's as badass as, well as right. the kid and, and so he walks idea. in and
2: he kills the guy while he's taking a leak in the bathroom <laughs> and it just sets off this huge gunfight that they come out of and what that kind of sets the tone for is like they are in the mess that they are in in large part because of Billy the Kid but the only reason that they are able to come out of said mess is, is because they're because they with... Because they're with Billy the Kid
1: and there's that I think that it starts with the Charlie Sheen character but it kind of gets picked up with the Keeper Sutherland character yeah, Doc, they're, yeah. they're constantly wagging their fingers saying Billy what you're doing is wrong you're gonna get us killed. what you're doing is wrong but on some level, they kind of want to be the kid. Yeah. It's as much about you're going to get us killed or as, like, no, I want to be the guy who's calling the shots, you know? Yeah. They're, they're young, dumb, and, you know, want to fucking yeah. kick ass, and they, they want it to be, think of it as their gang, you know? They kind of get seduced by this idea of being outlaws and uh the second young guns movie sort of deals with the consequences that's the kind of uh, thing a good thing a good and bad thing about young guns too uh, although not the entire gang obviously makes it out alive in this story it basically gives you the origin of billy the kid and you could tell yourself and he rode off to have many more adventures right, right? and yeah. there were no true consequences well no of course and to their credit they did make a sequel which i don't enjoy as much as this one but uh yeah. that does deal with that yes this does this path only ends badly it yes. only leads to bad places um it's way better than you would think it would be like i could see somebody who hadn't grown up with it like we did looking at that and saying what oh the that hell? looks hilarious like let's yeah. there's gotta be something more interesting to watch tonight yeah. than younger and there was one
2: like, another thing i wrote down too Oh, yeah, like the, you know, the slow-mo of him popping out of the trunk after being thrown out of a window. I'm like, I don't know if that's historically accurate. How did you open and close yeah. the trunk? Was it, again, don't think about yeah, it? Yeah, pardon it's, me. Oh. Ugh, <laughs> okay. But there was a really nice tip of the hat moment, too, of when Pat Garrett warns him, which they kind of potentially set up as maybe he was setting a trap. Right. Which, uh, yeah, anyways, that's one of the thoughts that crosses their mind. Um, and it's not William Peterson at this point. William Peterson no, plays him in the him sequel. In the sequel, yeah. Um, but he has a moment Billy the Kid does where he, he has his back there at night and he has his back turned to him. And he's like, Are you my friend? He's yeah, I'm your friend and It's like this moment of Are you gonna shoot me right now? It kinda of plays into the story of where he, he was feeling. where he did shoot him at night, apparently, right? Yeah. So on and so forth.
1: Yeah. Well it's not here to shoot him in the back. Maybe he's shooting at a reflection. There's all this bullshit, yep. you know, who knows, nobody was really there. Um it's fun. Uh Fun fact, I talked to you about this before uh, we started recording, but uh, Blink and You Miss a cameo from Tom Cruise, uh, one of the first people killed in the big house shootout at the end uh, is Tom Cruise. He's got a big cowboy hat and facial hair. It's really hard to tell it's him, but apparently he and Amelia were or, or I don't well, know, they would have been doing, doing friends. Yeah. They they've been buds for a while, and he was just on set, and they're like, "We're doing a shootout," and I was like, "Oh
2: well." <laughs> I want to be in that. I want to be in that. So
1: uncredited, it's one of those things, but it is yeah there. That happened. Tom Cruise was, was on set for that day, and yes, as not credible as it is, is, they they light the house on fire to get these guys out of there. Uh, the, them throwing the suitcases out of the window and they're hiding inside trunks like that is <laughs> that is not credible. But to me, that's not what I find hilarious about that shoot. It's. It's how painfully they project the death of the Charlie character, the Casey Zamasco character. He literally gets married the night before Before. and is told not to come with them, but no, he's going to go anyway. It's just like... This is not going to end well for you. Just (laughs) put your gun in your mouth. Like, good God, there's no surprise (laughs) to his fate. And I also like the... We didn't mention Dermot... Is it Dermot? Yeah, Dermot Mulroney. Mulroney. Uh, He's kind of the most cowboy of them in that he looks physically the grossest like chewing tobacco yeah, or, yeah. there's some like uh, Emilio and Kiefer Sutherland always still look pretty somehow in this dirty world um but he was usually the guy who said the inappropriate thing at the inappropriate time that would make you roll his eyes and yet when he went down you were kind of like oh Aww. yeah <laughs> so I think he accomplished something there he was the gross guy but we liked him like so. him no matter what uh yeah it's an is what it is movie i will play limited defense to young guns it's in a crowd of much much better movies and it's 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 fine for the time it came out in um it's hard to get super enthusiastic about it but uh i'm not on the hate train not at all
2: great piece of nostalgia
1: So there it was. We have just talked about six uh, modern westerns, let's call them. That's <laughs> a probably fair statement. Um, <laughs> I think that I have the feeling like we're going to agree on the bottom, but the, the list seems largely up in the air. Yeah. Uh, I suspect we're not going to match, but I have my own biases and prejudices that I bring into this. So. Don't take it personally, but if we don't match, but thank I don't think, you.
2: I, I. I think we probably won't, but I think you're probably in a similar boat that you don't it's dislike tough. any of
1: them. I and even though
2: there's one that's clearly kind of outclassed, it's
1: not that it's a, a I, bad. Yeah, I really like uh, five of the six movies, and I guilty pleasure like one of the six movies, yeah. but like, it's not it's really close it's tough like it's, it's a lot of the times like the top three are difficult in this case the top five were difficult i would agree so, uh in those cases it's it's usually rarely a match but i doubt we're gonna fight over it but let's find out okay. uh what was your least favorite of these six movies and why uh young gun what <laughs> <laughs> it just it just can't
2: hold you know hey i love seeing terry o'quinn in movies before yeah. i knew who he was and uh, yeah, it just—it's not on the same level filmmaking-wise. Maybe it feels more dated than the other ones, even though it's only like four years before *Unforgiven*. It yeah. just—but it feels older. Uh, quick
1: aside: If you liked Terry O'Quinn, you know, a fan of all things horror, he did uh, two stepfather movies in the '80s: *The Stepfather* and *The Stepfather 2. I don't think he did the third one. I think it was different anyway. Uh, really low budget really low five movies but Terry O'Quinn plays the crazy stepfather and I think he's really amusing to watch so he's a good actor man he go. was O'Quinn, good before it Lost uh, Young Gun's at the bottom I don't think you're going to hear me fighting you too hard on that
2: uh, but yeah then that's when it kind of got tough because there's like things are like well there's really good filmmakers they're really good film but then should I just run through all the way do you do you, do you okay so yeah Young Gun at six and then I had to, I put True Grit at five um Django, I thought it might have landed higher, but then I put it at four. Uh, Unforgiven at three. Uh, 3.10 to Yuma. I just, I love that movie at two. <laughs> and then Tombstone, maybe it's part guilty pleasure, but the dialogue just, I eat it up with a spoon. Like, yep. I, I can quote it. And as I was re-watching it for the first time in years, I knew exactly what the next line was going to be. <laughs> it, is a, it is a really well written, screenplay, despite some of its uh, cheesy moments later on in the film. So I have Tombstone
1: at one. We have shockingly different lists. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised by that, though. But again, I don't think we're going to fight a lot about it. I mean, I don't think you're going to like where Tombstone is in my list. It's probably five. But, but, uh, like I said, I do have a lot of affection for all of them. At the bottom, unsurprisingly, (laughs) Young Guns. I think if you're the audience for the movie, you know that you're the audience for this movie. If you're thinking, I'm not sure, you're probably not the audience for this yeah. movie. Uh, there's, it's one of these things that could only happen in 1988. All of these actors were super, super hot at the time, so putting them all in one movie by itself would make it a big deal, but they decided to play Western, right? Yeah. It's a time capsule is what it is movie, so let it be that, <laughs> but it's, it's got wiped off the board by its competition. I'm terribly sorry, but you are correct. I did put Tombstone <laughs> in Good Place. I love Tombstone, but it's not a smart movie. It's an entertaining movie. Uh, it just doesn't have the depth that the that some of the other ones did for me. But it was a near thing. Like, I almost put, believe it or not, and this is probably low for you to three ten for you to you in it. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing, I, in a way, I liked it more and less when I revisited it because it became a less fun shoot 'em up Western movie than it became this kind of provocative antecedent of saying, like, uh, the hero mythos is not just wrong, it's kind of, like, right. stupid. Yes. <laughs> like, it's yep. deeply flawed. I don't think you can live in this world. And I don't know. It's a great movie, but the, the darkness kind of took the took a little bit of the fun out of it for me because i don't know i i, I somehow uh, the first time i was just like all engaged with the shootouts and the you know the stage coach and the you know surprisingly dark performance from luke wilson like i said all the little components kind of distracted me from the overarching darkness that was there um but again in a list that also includes unforgiven can yes. i be can i be that yeah so there it is Speaking of unforgiven, all the way in third place is unforgiven. <clears throat> we we agree on that. I uh, yeah, there we go. We didn't agree on that. I and again it's a best picture winner, but it- the darkness and ugliness of the movie, although like I'm sure I'll watch it again, it's like something you maybe watch every ten years or so, right? Like it's yeah, it's it's kind of a bitter pill, and that might hurt its rewatchability. I,
2: it's a bit of a time capsule for me too, maybe related more specifically to Clint Eastwood right. than than maybe the genre as a whole. But
1: yes, but I respect a man willing to tear down something that he himself helped build. Yeah. so uh, and it's 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 one of these movies that'll stick around. People will be talking about Unforgiven for a while yep now it's just going to become predictable Larry bullshit (laughs) number two Django Unchained (laughs) the movie surprises me like I didn't see it being this funny and like lively and energetic and it like blockbuster-style entertaining. I was kind of expecting it to be a grim slog in some ways, like I thought there was going to be some real harshness and darkness. Not that it doesn't have its corners, but mainly it really wants to entertain you, and it holds its length really well. Like, sometimes I want to admonish Quentin Tarantino for so because running times usually yeah. run so long, but they usually sustain. They have somehow keep the energy of a 90-minute movie over a three-hour movie. I don't know how he does it. Some film class studies might be able to figure it out. Maybe it's
2: in the way he cuts, cuts the film. I think it's got to be something like that. And
1: like you also think like how much fat he trims off of it. Like, What was the first cut of Django yeah. and chain? Four hours and change, right? Um, but like, there's something to be said for a movie that surprises me. And even though I was expecting to be intrigued and to like a Quentin Tarantino movie, uh, I was surprised at how much I liked Django. Yep. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about the Coen Brothers and how like I'm (laughs) ridiculously ridiculously on board for them. Um, And this has everything I love about westerns, and everything I love about the Coen Brothers in one package. And even though that the movie is full of stars, Haley Seinfeld as this Maddie, this main character, is so amazing and charming, and like uh, in a way the most powerful figure in the movie. And uh, the fact that it works. At all is in spite yeah. in, over and above how well it works. the fact that it works at all is amazing, but it works amazingly well for me and it's the Cohen brothers, so it was hard for me not to rank it high on the lists but again uh the, the top five was soup for me like yeah. it was I, I, I just, love those movies all. and they're they're very different I think yeah. what what Unforgiven is trying to do is so different from what Tombstone is trying to do but they're both incredibly successful at doing what, what they're, they're set out
2: to, to do. do so you know even to talk about talking about True Grit and uh, and her performance too like I think my favorite scenes of hers are the ones where she walks into like that general store and mm-hmm. she's like bartering with what a compensation and then like selling back
1: <laughs> like the dialogue and the back and forth in those scenes are, are oh, fantastic and you just yeah it's unmistakably Cohen universe if you want to sleep in one of the coffins that would be alright <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she was thinking about she that she was wasn't going to entertain that not, idea that was not crossing her mind dude <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I'm sorry you're not a champion, but I'm I'm so grateful for you coming. Oh, it's a great excuse to busy, to so.
2: drink coffee and talk movies with you, my friend. Anytime. It's not
1: hard work, I know, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Is there anything you want to say to the kids on the internet before I press stop on this? Keep tuning in. Keep doing it. Thank you, dude. And there it was. Another edition of Rankin Review has hit the rear view mirror. I hope you enjoyed that exploration of some modern westerns, and I hope you have some feedback for me. You can send that to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Check out the website at rankinreview.ca, because I am a Canadian. Nobody's perfect, you guys. <laughs> and uh, if you like Rankin Review... My guess is that you will also enjoy the Terror Table podcast. So check out the Terror Table podcast wherever fine podcasts are found. Keep your ear to the ground for my motion picture, Book of Trespasses. Hopefully someday we're going to find a way to get it out to you guys. Uh, I will definitely keep you posted. Uh, and thank you so much, as usual, for listening to Rank and Review. Your ears make you my friend. If you listen to the show, you're my friend.